sir. Just sign this. Yes, sir, right here. Okay, give us a hand here. All right, sir. Work, 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 work. Hello, boys. Have a good night's rest. I miss you. Just one more bill for you to sign, sir. What the hell is this? This is the bill that will convert the state hospital for the insane into the William J. Lepetamine Memorial Gambling Casino for the insane. Gentlemen, this, this bill will be a giant step forward in the treatment of the insane gambler. Yes, bravo. Thank you, thank you, Hetty, thank you. It's not... Hedy, it's Hedley, Hedley Lamar. What the hell are you worried about? This is 1874. You'll be able to sue her. Just <laughs> 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 mm, sign right there, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, help me in with this. Help me in with this. Help me in yes, with this. Think of your secretary. Right. Oh, that's a very good suggestion. All right. Thank you. All right. Okay, is that it? Anything else? Just a urgent telegram for Rockbridge that arrived last Friday. Last Friday? Read it, read it. You wild bitch. Sheriff murdered, church meeting bombed. Reign of terror must cease. Send your sheriff immediately. Holy underwear! Sheriff murdered? Innocent women and children blown to bits? We've got to protect our phony baloney job, gentlemen. We must do something about this immediately. Immediately, immediately. Harumph, 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 harumph. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. Get the governor harumph. Speaking with the one and only Harvey Corman. Blazing Saddles. All right. It was either that or the, um, the other. I almost, uh, there's so much from Blazing Saddles. One really runs the risk of just doing two weeks of nothing but Blazing Saddles sequences. I was almost going to do the uh, people stampeded and cattle raped. That old, uh, the church meeting sequence. Banger, banger, banger. Anyway, uh, it is 8 minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11, and this the month of September, the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed, yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 The Talker. Thank you, my friends, for coming along and making a part of your listening day. Bada bing. Uh, it is Tuesday, and welcome to Day 12. Thank you for coming along. Uh, you want to get on board today, it's 503 733 733-2970. Here, little fun fact. I can sing the entire opening theme song to Blazing Saddles. I will not do so now. But if called upon... First of all, I can sing the entire opening theme song. I can sing the Ballad of Rock Ridge, which is that thing that starts off as a gentle sort of hymn about the town, and then it picks up the pace as uh, all of uh, all of Hedy Lamar's guys, uh, Hedley Lamar's guys come in, and they start, you know, just start tearing everything up. And then I can sing that whole hands-on-your-hips-stick-at-your-tush song. Uh, from the end. I'm just saying. Uh, to get the phone number? Well, I'll give it again. It's 503-733-2970. If you want to uh, get on board, comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, kvetches, screeches, snarls, ruminations, ponderings, musings, limericks, iambic pentameter, whatever it is you might have today. 503-733-2970. Yeah, that reminds me. Hold on. Phone book. And I mentioned something last week. I got to revisit it. Uh, make a little note to myself about a bit that we're going to do. Uh, what else? Oh, Richie Bristol. So he's back there. He's standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about 
you know, whatever. It's 503-733-2970. You want to email, you can do that as well. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. Uh, because it is September, don't forget we're giving away every day this week a pair of passes to see Robert Plant and Allison Krauss as next Tuesday at the Rose Garden. Tickets on sale now at ComcastTix.com. Here's an interesting thing. I like to think that when I say Comcast ticks, the fact that the ticks is T-I-X is sort of implied. I think we've reached a point in sort of the evolution of American linguistics where you can accent a word in such a way that implies an alternate or whimsical spelling. Sort of like, uh, you know, like when a girl at a Bon Jovi concert holds up a you know, sign that says, John, I would die for you. And everybody knows what I mean by that. And sort of a little verbal emoticon is what that is. Anyway, tickets on sale now at ComcastTix.com. We're going to give away a pair of tickets every day this week to see Robert Plant and Allison Krauss, who has a voice like an angel, next Tuesday, 8 o'clock at the Rose Garden. Um, so here's the way we'll do it today and every day this week. I will, at some point in today's program, work in a Zeppelin lyric into the conversation. At some point, I will work in a Led Zeppelin lyric into our conversation on the, today's show. You hear it, you be caller number five to identify it, and uh, you'll win the tickets. Also, one random on-air caller today wins a copy of Sports Night, the entire series on DVD. One of those is going to be open because I have it at my house right now and I'm watching it. You're just going to have to be okay with that. Um, it is uh, eight DVDs. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. It's glorious. It's excellent. It's nearly flawless. The only thing that... There's, I'll just I'll level with you right here. There's two things that keep Sports Night from being flawless. One, this god-awful laugh track that's on about the first half of the first season, which ABC made them put on. I mean, they shot the program. No audience. They shot it uh, you know, without a laugh track. There was no laugh track needed, no laugh track necessary, no laugh track required. But, of course, because network television believes all television audiences to be stupid, they went back and they... For the most part, they're right. Yeah, and they, they, you know, I mean, generally, generally that is the case. But they took this show that was just, you know, just, just filmed and paced perfectly. And then they went in in post-production and they never just crammed a laugh track on the top of it where it doesn't belong. And it is cringe-inducing. I mean, it makes certain sequences almost unwatchable. Anyway, it vanishes about halfway through the first season. But uh, that, and there's this whole... Sort of ridiculous subplot with uh, you know Dana Whitaker and Casey McCall that I can kind of do without because Aaron Sorkin doesn't really write the romance all that well. But you know these these flaws are like moles on the shoulder of a beautiful woman. So in any event, it's still a great series. Uh, the eight DVD set, the 10th anniversary edition of Sports Night, the entire series that goes out to uh, one random on-air caller today. That is at Richie's discretion, by the way. Richie has already picked a number in his head. Uh, for example, 5, or perhaps 39, or pi. And if you are that day, uh, that caller today uh, who gets on the air, you will uh, win Sports Night, the entire series on DVD. There you go. What else is coming up? CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins will join us today. Steve Kastenbaum will join us today from New York City. And we'll talk to uh, CNN Radio correspondent James Roop, who I'm not sure if he's back in Las Vegas or if he's still in Los Angeles. He's at one going to the other and hating his life in all places and times. So we'll talk to him today about the O.J. Simpson trial. Nina Parker from TMZ.com will join us today. Not that anybody really cares about it at this point, but I guess Lindsay Lohan was interviewed last night or two days ago, or so, and she just, you know, Sam and I are very happy and we're, we're getting married, So which we all kind of knew. But, and I guess there's some new hot photo of them making out, so we'll talk about that. Uh, let's see, what else? Cannibal Watch coming up today. Jock Watch coming up today. Uh, and uh, other things of this nature. Oh, and also, uh, KUFO program director Chris Paddock will join us in the studio. 
We are going to be counting down today Christopher Paddock's top five, uh, top five lovelorn teenage angst-ridden anthems. Uh, the top five songs in which he drowned his romantic sorrows as a ute. Uh, that'll be later, uh, later today, around 2 o'clock or so. And then tomorrow, Tim Riley does his top five angst-ridden teenage songs. Yes. Then on Thursday, we're doing something else on Thursday. And then on Friday, Scott Daly's doing his take on the list, and then we're done. We're done. Then we're never doing it again, because at that point, we'll have maxed out, like, everybody in the building. It's so, fun. It is. It really... And here's the thing about it. I heard this from Aaron. I heard it from Sarah. I heard it from Chris Paddock today, which is that going through and assembling this list of the top five songs in which you drowned all your teenage, uh, the romantic troubles, it really is, it is simultaneously sort of freeing and traumatic. Because it's like you're sort of having, as you're listening back to them and trying to figure out if it's, you know, if a song is worthy of being on the list, you're kind of reliving all of your horrible 15-year-old pain over again. Sort of things that you thought you'd put behind you, things that were in your rearview mirror once and for all, and you just sort of have to uh, just dive headlong back into that, back into that ocean of poignancy. And it's just, it's all, it's all kinds of weird. But then when you're done, it's kind of like a, you know, it's sort of like a weight has been taken off your soul. Sarah said that. Sitting here listening to Expose, singing about lost love. Oh, it's true, it's true. Yeah, so, anyway, so uh, so we'll do Chris Paddock's today, Tim's tomorrow. I think we're doing somebody else on Thursday, I forget who. And then uh, on Friday, Scott Daly's, then we're done. Done with that list. All right, Tim Riley is working on the following stories for your edification on this Tuesday. As we speak, the nation's top financial leaders are warning of dire consequences if Congress does not quickly approve that massive bailout for the troubled financial sector. Meanwhile, here at home... A Cuban wrestling champ gets in a rumble with six Gresham cops. An Oregon legislator is embarrassed after opponents revealed he smacked his son of the head with a screwdriver a few years ago. Fruit flies have made Oregon. Bed bugs are being spread by low-cost airlines. A CEO is bludgeoned to death by his fired employees. A giant pig traps a terrified woman in her home. Boise cheerleaders' uniforms are altered following complaints. They're showing just a little bit too much school spirit. And Sarah Palin meets the president of Afghanistan. All right, then. All then, we uh, look ahead to Friday's presidential debate, uh, which is going to be, what is it, Mississippi, Missouri, one of those M places. Yeah. Where is it going to be? I'll look it up. Some state I don't care about, but it's going to be... Uh, what time is that? Does it start Pacific? I don't know. I'll look that I up. I don't too. know either. Okay. Boy, I've become really dumb. Uh, because the here's the thing, because TiVo is sort of like spell check in that they have completely removed any requirement that I actually think for myself. I don't have to know when anything's on. I have to know what channel anything's on. I don't have to know how to spell anything. I don't have to know what's a double letter and what's not. Hey, what's the only uh, word in the English language that has three sets of double letters in a row? Go. The answer is bookkeeper. We're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillman. Hello, oh, how are you? You said the only letter that, that you didn't say oh, the letter. Damn me! Damn me to uh -oh. hell! All right. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing well. Very well. Spent a fun evening with friends yesterday and then had a nice bike ride into work today. All is right in Saratoga. You know, I have to say it's gotten downright chilly outside. I know we're talking about the weather, but really? All is back. It has to be noted. Well, first of all, yesterday was the first. Is yesterday the first day of autumn? Yes. So yesterday, so summer, as Leonard Cohen would say, uh, summer's over and winter's tuning up. Uh, My hands were freezing on the way to work today. I got to tell you, I was a little bit chilly. Even though I drove, I was... Uh, I, you were cold in your car? I was. Well, because I'm, you know, because I'm driving the truck, because we got the car and we got the truck. And it's sort of a, like a dibs sort of thing in our house. Like somebody calls dibs on the car, which is relatively new and everything, and it works. And then whoever doesn't call dibs ends up driving the truck. And here's the thing about the truck. I forget who it was, but there was some airline a few years ago, and their slogan was, and let's not identify the airline even if we remember who used this phrase, but there was some airline a few years ago. Their slogan was, 
we get you there. And I forget, you know, like Blue Sky Airlines. And that was the Blue Sky Airlines. We get you there. Which almost seemed like a little bit of a lackluster positioning statement to me. Not like you'll enjoy it. Not like it'll be inexpensive or, or efficient. Not it'll be pleasant. It's just sort of like, we get you there. Which sort of like, like I sort of imagine like you're flying in one of those Indiana Jones planes that has like no insulation, you know, or food. And they just kind of kick you out when they get over the tarmac. Mm. That's what my truck is. God bless my truck. I mean, it has like 400,000 miles on it. And it's it can been stolen, what, three times? Two times? Stolen three times, has a billion miles on it. Nothing inside the truck actually functions correctly. I have to, if I'm parallel parking that truck, I mean, I have to, because the steering is now so, you know, it's not just power. It's not that the power steering is gone. I mean, it's like when I turn, it's almost like when I'm turning it. It's like I'm turning it, and then there's like a bunch of those Flintstones gerbils inside that are like moving the tire for me and kind of going, it's for living. So it's so difficult to turn the wheel in my truck. They're getting out of any parallel parked space, and it takes like about five, it's like a five point, you know, adjustment to get out of that. But you know what? Every time I turn the key, it starts. I've never had any problem with it. It, it runs, uh, and it'll run forever probably. Not well, not comfortably, not smoothly, but it does run. But anyway, so but the, but the thing is, the heater doesn't work. First, the air conditioning stopped working. Now the heater doesn't work. So I'm on, and I can't even imagine what it's going to be like when it's December. But I'm driving to work this morning, and my hands are, you know, kind of doing that. <gasps> I'm blowing on my hands, trying to get them all warm. But yesterday, we uh, we packed up and sealed and put away the air conditioner. That was how we knew that the that's how we knew the summer was going. You know, I can always tell it's fall too when Fred Meyer puts out their two dollar gloves. Yeah. Uh, their big selections. I usually stock up on about like six pair of them right before the winter starts. Oh, the debate is at the University of Mississippi, eight o'clock Eastern Time, Friday. So five o'clock Pacific. Mm. All right, excellent. Uh, let's see uh, what else. Oh, by the way, speaking of my hands, so I don't know if this is a. I don't assume that they fixed this downstairs, but have you noticed that all the paper towel dispensers in the building have now just stopped working? I know you got to really give it a good tug. Well, but. But I don't know if it's that way in the women's bathroom as well, and but in the unisex bathroom here, in the men's bathroom down here, and then in the men's bathroom upstairs, because you know we've reached the point where I guess it's like this sort of it's like this planned obsolescence with technology, because we have one of those motion sensing paper towel dispensers made by the I think it's the In Motion company that makes those. And by the way, I never saw those paper towel dispensers anywhere a year ago, and now they are omnipresent. They have just taken the place of all the other paper towel dispensers anywhere, and I suppose it's like a hygiene issue. Like, they don't want you doing that thing of, like, turning a little crank on the side or whatever. Or, it, God forbid, you do that My Father's Place thing where you're, like, just pulling the big cloth roll out of it. Mm-hmm. And you suspect that none of that is clean. I mean, it just goes around in a big loop. My pants on one of those cloth well, things. I did wipe my hands on my pants this morning because we found out the other day, we were talking to some listener, and his job is to go to schools and to replace the batteries in all of those paper towel dispensers. And I never really realized, because they're not plugged into the wall, they're not, you know, they're not wired into sort of the main power system. They're all battery operated. And as he pointed out, they have to change the batteries, you know, all at the same time. Like he goes through one big trip, changes the batteries on one day. Well, what that means is the batteries all go dead. There, you know? There's no emergency crank on the side. There's no emergency crank on the side. That's a good point, Tim. There's no emergency crank on the side. There's no alternate or sort of supplemental. There's no ancillary system for getting the paper towels out of there. So people are, are touching things with their wet, germy hands. And, or like me, you're just doing that thing of trying to find an area of clothing where you can wipe your hands. It's not make it going to look like you wet yourself in the bathroom or that you have poor aim. So... But as he pointed out, because they replace the batteries on the same day, all the batteries then go dead on the same day. So all the paper towel dispensers here at CBS Radio Portland have gone dead. And it wasn't just that they went dead. I was here over the weekend doing some work because I'm lame. And they were starting to die over the weekend. And then it just made you kind of sad. 
It was sort of like seeing my it's ant colony. Very, very slowly. No, it was like seeing my ant colony slowly die. You know, I would just, you know, I'd wash my hands and then I go and I wave my hand in front of the dispenser, and it wasn't that it wouldn't give me a towel. It would kind of go. Mm. Sort of I'm like to dry a finger. At least a half a finger. Exactly. It was sort of like Dan and Ann and where the red fern grows, trying to catch one more raccoon for you. See, the ladies' room, the, the paper towel dispenser is fine because there are like, what, three girls down here? Well, you know, and you get everything nice. There's a couch in the restroom upstairs. So I'm just saying, we can't have nice things, apparently, we men here at CBS Radio Portland. Oh, man, after, like, cleaning bathrooms this past weekend, after a couple nights, the women's bathroom, pristine. Men just, like, I don't even know how they would get the toilet paper, like, on the walls. Like, it's just, like, <laughs> balled up, like, paper towels and, like, places I didn't even... I'm like, what are you doing in there? Yeah, we're pigs. What are you doing? Yeah. It's just disgusting. Rooting around you don't like truffle hounds. No. No, and if you gave us something nice, we would almost assuredly soil and break. Oh, totally. Uh, anyway, so I'm leaving. So every time I had to use the bathroom the last two days, just walking out going, wiping my hands on either my shirt or my pants. Nothing like that. That has a little touch of sophistication and class to your look. you got a big wet handprint on your crotch. But, uh, let's see. What else? Well, I have, an, okay, I have two observations. I have one about customer service, and I have one about Southeast Portland. Which should I do first? Well, Southeast Portland will remain the same no matter what you do, so that could be second. All right. Well, let's talk about the let's talk about customer service. And let me just tell you first and foremost, I'm not going to identify this business or restaurant. I will simply say, it is a restaurant within the Portland city limits. I will not say what quadrant. I will simply say this is a this is an Italian restaurant within Portland. So. Lauren and I, you know, we've been on busy schedules lately. She's been working a lot. I've been working a lot. We both got some outside stuff we're doing. And we haven't, you know, we wanted to sort of just get away, get, you know, just go out to dinner and just sort of, you know, forget our troubles for a night. And so I was trying to make uh, reservations for us to go out to dinner. We're both big fans of Italian food. Like, you can, you know, with me, you can never know wrong, uh, go wrong giving me Italian food. And there's this place that I have gone to. She hadn't gone, and I wanted her to try it. And I went there once. The food was just fantastic. And I'm like, hey, you know, I went to this place. It's great. you got to go. And so she kind of puts me in charge of making the reservations. So I call this place starting I, because we wanted to go out the, what, tomorrow. So yesterday was Monday. So I start calling this place yesterday morning. It's in my little day planner. You know, like 9 a.m. Call, you know, Italian place. And so I get in. I call the Italian place. And I, you know, I go, you know, first of all, I go to the, you know, the Yahoo Yellow Pages or whatever it is. And I dial, you know, it's a phone number, 503, whatever. I dial that, and I got the most frustrating thing, and I know this has happened to you, where you call the phone number, and it is, in fact, a fax machine. Mm -hmm. There's just nothing more irritating than that. You call the phone, because that just leaves you at loose ends. What are you supposed to do? You know, it's one thing if you try to call the fax machine, and it's a phone number. At least then the person who answers the phone can tell you what the correct number is. I call the phone number, it's a fax machine. And so, you know, I just sort of squeeze the phone really tightly for a second, and then I stifle down the furious black ball of rage that's beginning to form in my thorax, and I hang the phone up, and I kind of breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. And I go to Google, type in the name of the restaurant, which I will not give out on the air, and I go to their webpage, and their webpage says, uh, you know, welcome to our Italian place for a reservation to call this number. You know, so fine. So I pick up the phone, I call the number, which is identified on the webpage as being for reservations. I call, ring, 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 voicemail. Okay, fine. You know, and sometimes business isn't open. Sometimes you do whatever. Call, get the voicemail, and the guy, the guy answers the, uh, the guy answers the voicemail. Goes, hello, thank you for calling the Italian place. Uh, we, we know here. You know, leave a message. Maybe we call you back. Maybe we don't. And then he says, but then he says this. You sound more like a stereotype. No, no, no. And then he says <laughs> this. Then he says, I would have <laughs> tried an Eskimo restaurant. <laughs> then he says, but then he says at the end of the message, he goes. 
By the way, uh, don't leave a reservation request at this number. You must call back, talk to a real person. Goodbye. And then it just hangs up. And I just said, well, first of all, if I'm calling the reservation number, why can't I leave? I mean, obviously, maybe you can't actually confirm your reservation on, you know, on a voicemail. But you know what? He could say, leave your name and number. We'll call you back and let you know if your reservation request is possible. You know what I'm saying? So that's at like 10 o'clock. I call back. Uh, right when I get off the air, three o'clock, same thing. Call back, four o'clock, same thing. And I, you know, I'm real anal retentive with my to-do list and my day planner because you know, I just, you know, I just go around like a Mobius strip, going through all of my to-do items on a given day, one by one, trying to get them done. And so as I get closer to, oh, I don't know, six o'clock or something at night, I got almost everything in my day planner checked off except this thing in my day planner that says get reservations at Italian restaurant. And so it's just sitting there, like taunting me. It's just sitting there, filling me with just white-hot rage that I can't get this thing checked off. And I go back to the webpage to see if maybe I'm dialing the wrong number, maybe I'm calling well, outside of business the, hours. Well, you already got the message, right? I mean, a lot of, like, smaller businesses sometimes are closed on Monday. No, 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 but here's the thing. I went back to the webpage, and it said, open Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. I mean, I, was, I read it right off the webpage. And so while looking at the webpage, I picked up the phone, I called the number, and I, you know, I get the thing again, and he's like, "Hello, we're still not here. We know or value your business. We we wish for you to eat somewhere else. Buzz off, customer." And so I'm looking at the web page where it says reservations, and it says, you know, open Monday to Saturday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And by the way, this is after starting calling at like nine in the morning. It's probably the like the fifth, sixth time I've called that day, and it's not a small place because I've been there. It's not like it's a one-man operation. I mean, this is a fairly upscale restaurant, lots of employees, lots of people, theoretically open yesterday. So I call back, and after getting this message like the ninth time, where they're just making it as difficult as humanly possible to eat there, I finally just called them yesterday, and I just left a message, and I said, Hey, so I'm looking at your webpage right here, where it says you're open Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. I'm really desperately trying to spend my money at your establishment, which I know you'd probably value in this difficult economy, but you're A, uh, listing the wrong number in the yellow pages, and B, Choosing not to have anybody answer the phone and see not even letting me leave my name and phone number for a reservation. I'm not asking to confirm a reservation here. Just trying to get a little headway made. So you know what? I was going to blow like 100 bucks at your restaurant. I'm not going to spend it somewhere else. By the way, I will be calling you back to let you know where I spent the money since you will not allow me to patronize your restaurant, you jackass. And then I hung up. And it was so deeply satisfying. And you know what I did then? I put a check mark next to that item in my day planner and I crossed it out. So deeply gratifying, just in ways that I can't even begin to describe. <sighs> I feel better having told the story, too. You could open up a can. All right. What? Could have opened up a can at the same thing. Isn't most Italians stuff a can? I will say this restaurant is very good. I had a pleasant experience there. And again, you know, and I would not do this. If it was like some little mom and pop joint, and I know where Sarah's thinking that I'm talking no, about. It's not that place. It's not that place. Yeah. This is a this is a fairly upscale restaurant, and I would say a pretty so large operation. Multiple employees and stuff. Oh I'm man. Like, well, because I know like some of the places I go to, like on Hawthorne, for example, like some of my little places, I like I'll, I'll be like so stoked to go and get food, but then they'll just be like randomly closed yeah. on a day for like you know some family you know obligation what? or something. And I will completely accommodate that. But you know, but also if you're gonna you know if you have a look if you have a voicemail, you know you have an answering machine. Again, I understand that I can't necessarily call up and go, yeah, I need to bring in 15 people and five minutes consider this confirmed click but you know what what the guy could at least say like uh, leave her your name maybe i call you back you know he doesn't even do that so f him so i am going to be going out to dinner tomorrow somewhere else and i will be calling that restaurant to let them know where i spent my money so all right so enjoy the hundred bucks uh, of mine that you'll never be getting jackass all right by the way 
For those who are curious, I was doing the pizza guy from Futurama this whole time. Please do not tip a delivery boy. Sons of bitches. They'll all pay. How is everybody today? Gosh. I feel so much better, <laughs> you know? All right. You uh, must really like Italian food. What's that? You must really like Italian food. I really do. To put yourself through that. No, no, no. I like Italian food quite a lot. I mean, there's a lot of Italian places I like. This is a place I was hoping to, you know, I was hoping to take Lara there. She'd never been. Not going to happen now. Mm. All right. Uh, Richie, Mississippi does not have three consecutive sets of double letters. They're interrupted by eyes. But thanks so much. It is bookkeepers, the only word that does that. Should we take a break? Yes. Do I have to take a break here, or can I take these calls? Oh, I'll take the calls. We'll take a break. Yeah. We'll take a break. We'll take, <laughs> take a break. Hey, Sarah Dillon, you're the producer. What should I do? Let's, let's take a break. We are going to take a break. <laughs> Around the corner, we are taking your calls. All right. Get out. Mamma mia. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into whimsicality. It is uh, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Just a moment, we'll be joined by CNN Radio correspondent to the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Uh, coming up later on, Steve Kastenbaum, James Roop, uh, Chris Paddock's Top 5 Teenage Lovelorn Moping Songs. Uh, what else? Nina Parker from TMZ. Uh, Cannibal Watch, Jock Watch. Giving away a pair of Robert Plant tickets. Giving away the entire Sports Night series on DVD. Best day ever. Uh, let's do these, then we'll uh, talk to Lisa Desjardins. Hello, you are the first call of the day on the Rick Emerson Show, setting the tone for everything that follows. Don't suck. Oh, my God. All right. First of all, I love the show. So much pressure. Yes? Listen, I listen to it religiously. Yes, sir. But please, don't do that accent again. <laughs> Is this the Italian accent? I know. It's bad. Yes. Italian accents are funny, sir. Uh, Please don't ever do that again. I'm embarrassed for you. <laughs> the Italian accents are funny. I don't know what that was that was coming out of your mouth. It's the Futurama guy. It's that it's guy. That's not Italian. That is not Italian accent. No, no, no. It's, well, it's, it's grainy. I'm sorry? That is an exaggerated stereotype of what it, the Italian they, people, you know. Yes, it is, it sir. Yes, it is, my friend. It bears no relation or resemblance to reality at all. Exactly. Are you Italian? No. Wait, let me, I'm already Italian. Wait, let me... Hold on. I was going to say, so uh, you are not Italian, but you are just taking offense on behalf... Uh, you are taking offense on behalf of Italian people and being embarrassed for me. So you are multitasking today. Yes. Excellent. All right. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I'm part Italian. I'm not full-blooded, but I'm just part. All right. Excellent. Thank you, my friend. Uh, maybe I will move on to... Wait, what about... Hold on. Next, Lebanese. It'll be Lebanese next. All right. Uh, give it a try. Hey, by the way, yes. this is me. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. All right. Uh, all right. Let's welcome now to the Rick Everett. From the Hill, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. Hey there. How you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you today? Wow. Glad to hear it. Fantastic. That's great. All right. You know, it would have been, I mean, I think it almost would have been funnier. I shouldn't have asked him if he was Italian. It almost would have been funnier if I would just, if I had left it at the, you know, like not Italian. Because then he would have been calling up and sort of been embarrassed for me about something that had actually no personal relevance at all. All right, what would he do? You know, <laughs> you know what it is? It's me asking one question too many and then diminishing the laugh there. All right. Uh, uh, how's uh, life? How are things? Good, good. You know, uh, bailout plan, up and down. You know, hits, 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 hits a couple potholes here. It keeps going there. It's hard, hard to say where this thing's going to end up. So are we at a... 
Well, that just that meant nothing. What did you do? There were no there was no actual response in that response of yours just now. Okay, uh, basically it, it's it's um it's hitting some potholes, but also moving forward. So I would what? say it's uh, kind of up and down, which which pretty much which um, makes me very unoriginal because I think those are the exact three phase phrases I just used. Maybe when uh, someone says I don't understand what you just said, you should use other words. Wait a minute, is this are you doing like a meta thing here where you are answering the question uh, as though you were a presidential candidate? Because we were talking <laughs> the other day about a presidential candidates get on there and they're just you know just bumping their gums with a lot of weird mission statement type phrases that don't actually mean anything. Wow, I wow, me I hope not. And so when I asked you how are things going, you what you were doing right now uh, when you, you said like yeah, potholes and up and down and moving forward and blah blah blah, that was a whole lot of like, well what we're gonna do is uh, we're gonna plan our work and then we're gonna work our plan and uh, we're gonna give 110 percent. We gotta play the game we know we can play. You know, because those guys, they give it all they got. And basically, we just got to put one foot in front of the other, Rick. I mean, you were doing like a little, uh, little wow. Newt Rockney hey, thing there hey, for a second. I guess I was oversimplifying. That's bad. All That's right. bad. Um, well, let me ask you is, this. There is, in some sectors of Congress, increasing opposition to the bailout plan. But those sectors right now seem to be the minority, though they're growing. But the majority of Congress seems to be on board some sort of plan but there are um, a lot of details that need to be worked out and on which there are broad disagreement for everybody. But um, some people just are against it entirely, and that opposition is growing. But there is still there are still a number of um, – I'm worried. I'm trying not to use a metaphor here. There's, there's a lot of hurdles to, to go through. And that's what I mean, a lot of, lot of, a lot of hurdles to go through. <sighs> now you're just mixing your metaphors. Oh. That's Okay. Well, let's let's stop that for a okay, moment. What, um, how do I? Just, I don't understand how to describe <laughs> this. There, do you want me to go through there? Well, well, Rick, they they disagree over the issue of bankruptcy court law. They also disagree over the the issue of um, mortgage uh, buyouts. They also disagree over executive compensation, um, as well as the discretionary ability of the treasury. Well, let me ask you this. That, do those, you, I would call those hurdles. Do you feel like this is a thing that uh, is going to get, I mean, that will inevitably be passed in some sort of drastically whittled down sense? Uh, or is it going to, you know, how much of this is, do you think, going to get chopped off before it finally uh, makes it w its way through to completion? Well, it seems like, you know, the headline has always been the money, the $700 billion. And it, it seems like that $700 billion is right now staying intact, but Treasury Secretary Paulson, uh, they just winded up a very long day of hearings there in the Senate. And, you know, he and the Fed Chairman Bernanke were asked, you know, how much money exactly do you need? And they said, well, $700 billion we think is going to be more than enough, but we want to make sure that we have more than enough. And they said, well, how soon are you going to use this? And they said, well, at first we would start with some more simple buyouts. We're not going to use all of it at once. We're going to use, uh, you know, just those, those easy, easier buyouts up front. So I wonder if some in Congress aren't going to say, okay, well, we'll give you some money now, and then if you need more money, we'll give it to you later. You know, but, but other than that, other than that kind of back and forth in this hearing today, uh, the people are pretty much on board the very massive scope of this bill, but I think that they are going to make it uh, have more oversight, meaning that there'll be uh, more people looking at exactly what the Treasury is doing. Uh, they might not have control over what the Treasury is doing, but they'll get more reports and know exactly who's doing what. And I think there will be probably 
more bailouts that will help taxpayers directly, like the mortgage, people who are at risk for foreclosures, uh, may get some of this money and may save their homes because of this deal. Uh, There's arguments back and forth about that. You know, it does seem, uh, I was uh, talking to somebody about this yesterday, and again, I always sort of defer to your expertise on these because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but but there were sort of multiple parties at fault here. And you can't leave the government out because the government is supposedly, you know, kind of watching the whole candy store in terms of, you know, business and in terms of investing and in terms of loans and in terms of, you know, the financial markets in America. I mean, really, the, the man is presumably keeping one eye on things to make sure that everything isn't just being taken out the back door and sold to, uh, you know, Paul Sorvino on the street. Right. So. It, 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 you know, when the government sort of says, uh, look, we're going to step in and sort of you know, fork over like a trillion dollars or whatever it is now and try to make things right, it, you know, it is a little bit like Robert Downey Jr. repeatedly coming to all his friends in less than zero uh, and asking for more money because he has some business that he wants to get off the ground when he knows, we know, everybody in the film knows that that's just throwing good money after bad and the guy who's lending Robert Downey Jr. that money is the guy who shouldn't have given him any money or leniency in the first place. So it just... It is, it, you know, but then they say in Congress, or the Treasury Department would certainly say that it's as if um, Robert Downey Jr. actually had all of your bank accounts already and had spent all of those bank accounts, uh, and the only way you're going to make some of that money back is if he makes good on another investment. Can I ask you a dumb question? Okay. So if the government is ultimately responsible for being the governing authority for the American banking system, you know, the financial markets of all varieties. I mean, ultimately, the government is the one that steps in and lays down the rules. They decide how it's supposed to work, how it's not going to work, what's allowed, what's disallowed. And if the government is ultimately on the hook for backing up all of these things, everything from, you know, your FDIC insurance to, you know, oh, I don't know, handing over $900 billion, this may sound like an this may sound like an overly simplistic question, but if that's sort of the bottom line, why don't we just cut out the middleman and just make the government the bank? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be flip about that. I mean, it's like the government has to step in and mop up everything anyway, and it seems like there's only one or two outcomes. Either there's going to be a lot more government regulation, uh, or there's not going to be any more regulation, which means it's going to happen again, and the government's going to come in and have to uh, you know, sort of clean up everything 15 years later. It just seems like maybe the government ought to be the people who are the bank. Well, some people would say that that would be socialism, you know, and, and that, that America is a democracy and not a socialist country. And, in fact, today we've heard senators say that they think this program equates to socialism, that they think this is essentially the government owning all of the mechanisms or some, some of the most important mechanisms in the economy. I guess the argument is that um, – by banks being separate but regulated by the government, um, you know they're still they're still free to make a wide parameter of choices and to compete with each other. Which the you know and it's a whole Adam Smith idea that that competition leads to the best choice. That the government being a single entity or any one entity, even if it was just one private bank that ran the country or ran all the banks, that any one entity can can make any number of bozo decisions. But if you have a lot of or a few, anyway, um, companies competing against each other, that that's going to lead to the best decision, that that's going to lead one company is going to get ahead by making better decisions, and then other companies will follow suit. And and so that's why capitalists would say uh, the government owning the banks is a bad idea. Mm, well, but I... you... You know, but you're not alive. There's, I'm telling you, know, no, it seems like they're jacking me. The party is alive in, in this country. I, sure. Look, don't get me wrong. I'm a capitalist like everybody else in America, but it does seem like, in an overarching sense, 
they're coming and they're sticking their hand deeper into my pocket and everybody else's pocket, you know, in order to to some, in part anyway, because they want to help take care of people who were really buying a bunch of crap they couldn't afford in the first place. So they are taking, uh, you know, from each according to his uh, means to each according to his need. Uh, right. Which does feel, so. What's happening right now feels just you know. It, what's happening right now feels just a little bit like socialism too. Because I'm being asked to pay for some nitwit in the suburbs who bought a five million dollar house uh, when he's making twenty five grand a year. So I'm just yeah. Saying. You know, well, and but a lot of those folks, um, like the first wave, have lost their homes. There's sort of a middle wave right now that could be could be saved by this bailout. It's hard to say. Um, but you're right. I mean, and a lot of people talk about all those mortgages and all those individual people that took loans that they knew they couldn't afford or they thought they'd sell their house in a few years and they'd make the money back and it didn't work. But I, I think the greater, uh, I, I think that when you look at this crisis, the issue is the greater amount of money, the greater risk that this economy is at comes not from those mortgages. Um, each individual one, but from the bets that the financial sector made on those mortgages and, and the financial sector trying to make those mortgages look like they were going to turn massive profits for Wall Street and, and sort of trying to, you know, shine them up and make right. them look like they were desirable. So when you talk about who's taking from your pocket, I mean, really, perhaps that money was already taken long ago by Wall Street and by corporate executives who were running up massive profits that were based on completely false data about these mortgages to begin with. And, and that's where the real money is. You know, kind of there's, there's more money there on Wall Street than there are um, in these one-by-one -one mortgages at this point. You know who's to blame for this, Lisa? Fat cats. Uh, hey, one, one Mr. Mister. Final thing here before we roll. Uh, from an, uh, this is from a listener, uh, Garrett. He wants to know, Hey, Rick, I was wondering why Obama doesn't bring up McCain's involvement in the Keating Five Savings and Loan scandal. Uh, maybe Lisa would have some answer to this. It right. seems like this is the time to throw that out there while there's context right. in which you can work this. I've definitely been on the Charles Keating watch for the last couple of months, waiting to see when or if Barack Obama would bring this up. And, in fact, yesterday in an email, uh, Bill Burton, one of Barack Obama's advisors, went after John McCain, and it was third paragraph down, just at the very end of the paragraph, did he mention Charles Keating and didn't even get into the whole scandal, just kind of mentioned it. And, and I felt like that was the Barack Obama campaign testing the waters, They've obviously been talking about it, and it sounds to me, from looking at this one email, it really was just hidden in there. They're considering it. I think, uh, to answer Garrett's question, the reason they haven't brought it up is because I think they fear that it would make them look too ugly. Mm -hmm. Because the truth is that John McCain, out of the Keating Five, John McCain and John Glenn were cleared basically of all wrongdoing. They were ultimately said that they had used poor judgment, but, but they were cleared of doing anything wrong, unlike the other three who were involved See. in the probe. And John McCain would bring that up. See, that's why you're the gold standard, Lisa. So I think, it, I think it would, it's a tricky thing for the Obama campaign. I think they know it, it, would, it would make them look a little sleazy, I, I think. But they don't know for sure, but they're, they're, they're nervous about it. Excellent. All right, thank you. As always, a pleasure. Thank you for tolerating my juvenile shenanigans. Oh, and, and my poor metaphors. No, that's okay. It's all right. We all have our, we all have our, our days uh, in which we are hip-deep in spoonerisms. Well, there you go. All right, thank you. Okay. There you go, Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. All right. How you doing? Good. What's that little secret smile for? No, no, I was just writing to Steve Caston. Oh, okay, I think that's We're still it. trying to figure out the... So what is the deal? Is the phone rolling the over? The ladies on hold listening to hip-hop. The club don't close till I say so. Well, that is <laughs> All true. All my ladies on the flow. <laughs> <laughs> like, why am I listening to hip-hop? I'm like, I don't know. 
Uh, okay, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. Ahead from back east, uh, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kasterbaum. Hello, sir. Hey, so do you work in the same building as that station? Yeah, uh, we are They're sandwiched. Right yeah, we're between a uh, an active rock station and uh, and a, a station it, it hits in hip hop. I think is what they're called. So uh, yeah, so but when you call here, but here's the thing. So we got in this cluster, and which is I wish that there was a different word because the, the cluster just sounds like something you have the doctor look at on your leg. But uh, here at CBS Radio Portland, this cluster of stations we have. Uh, there's us. There is KUFO, an active rock station. Uh, there's Jammin', which is a hits and hip-hop station. There is uh, Kink FM, which is, I think, like a triple-A, like adult alternative kind of a thing. There is a country station. Am I leaving somebody? Oh, the K-Hits, which is uh, sort of hits of the 60s and 70s, blah, 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 blah. But when you call here, if you're put on hold, there does seem to be some sort of hold music roulette where you're never quite sure exactly what you're going to be listening to. So sometimes it's going to be Nickelback, sometimes it's going to be James Blunt. It's never us, by the way. No one calling any of the other radio stations ever, ever, ever hears us on hold. That never well, happened. That's, that's their loss. Well, I suppose. Uh, I think the argument might be made that perhaps to the listener who is calling because he enjoys, oh, I don't know, Carrie Underwood songs, suddenly hearing my screechy, nasal, complain, uh, complaining voice over the hold it might just be a little bit too much to bear. So that's just my speculation, though. Damn, so forth. All right. Hey, is this the last time? We've been sort of counting down and checking off all of the last things that George W. Bush is doing. So this is the last time he's at the U.N.? Is, that, is this his, his final hurrah there? That is correct. This is uh, this was his last speech at the United Nations as President of the United States, or as POTUS, as they like to call him. Uh, yeah, he uh, spoke before the world body this morning, one of the first speakers up there, and was talking, of course, about terrorism again. Uh, he spoke, spoke about the global war on terrorism, but then he got to the part that most world leaders were interested in today, and that has to do with the, the world uh, financial markets. Last week, I announced... A decisive action by the federal government to address the root cause of much of the instability in our financial markets by purchasing illiquid assets that are weighing down balance sheets and restricting the flow of credit. You know, you got to think that the translators must have gotten stumped on the word illiquid. So I guess my question is, well, first of all, it's worth noting George W. Bush has had such a, he has been parodied so often in the popular culture and on the, the, the television and movies and on radio programs such as this one, that it's now almost impossible to listen to him speak while simultaneously remembering that he is, in fact, a real person. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this, nobody walked out on him this time. Last year you, you had, uh, I think it was the Iranians uh, walked out on him. Uh, different different uh, delegations have walked out on President Bush in different years. Well, I I think it's it's telling that we were talking about this last week. I think we uh, asked Bob Costantini about this. There's this whole thing about the economy imploding, and I kept turning on the television to see, you know, if if you know he was going to you know come out and say like, uh, look, I know everything sucks. Here's what we're going to try to do. And there was just like days and days and days that went by. Where it's like he was just nowhere to be seen. It was like they had him locked in a janitor's closet or something, or you know what I mean? Or like he, or like he was in a car with automatic windows and the power went out and he somehow couldn't get free to, to, to put himself in front of a camera. So it, it is comforting, I suppose, to see that he's making some sort of statement about it. Although it does seem like uh, like that really would have been helpful last week if he'd made yeah, some well, observation about it. You know what it is? The president, uh, no matter who it is, normally won't come out and say that uh, the economy is in big trouble until they absolutely have to, and everybody else has already acknowledged it. Because if the president uh, were to say it, it could cause uh, 
you know, a spiraling downward effect on Wall Street. So they, they, they normally, you know, try to paint an optimistic, rosy picture no matter how bad it is. So he is the, uh, so he is the, uh, the priest who comes into the locker room halfway through uh, and gives her the big pep talk about how, you know, if you just pull together as a team, you can make up those yards and you can win one for, you know, insert yeah. whoever here. Exactly, yeah. That, that's the president's job when it comes to the economy. All is well. <laughs> yes. he's, um, he's Kevin Bacon at the end of Animal House. Exactly. Remain calm. All is well. Uh, all right. Hey, uh, quick question. When are they tearing down Yankee Stadium? I may have already asked you this, but when, does, when do they actually start doing the demolition? Very slow process. Uh, first, they have to move everything from the uh, the front office over to the new stadium when that's done, and it's only 75% complete. So they won't start the deconstruction for a while. But I plan on going back there uh, the day the Yankees empty their lockers, which will be after a regular season uh, play uh, mm-hmm. officially ends. So uh, I'm hoping to bring a couple of uh, you know pieces of Tupperware and getting some dirt off the pitcher's mound or something. Yeah, pick me up a syringe. <laughs> I will... I will be uh, checking out a couple of the lockers for uh, any evidence that I can find. Yeah. All right, then. All right, Steve Kastenbaum, thank you, my friend. My pleasure. All right, thank you. Go. Steve Kastenbaum in New York City. Wonderful. Excellent. All right. Hello, Tim Riley. Hello. Right. Uh, I was just listening to your chat. With? About, uh, with Lisa. Yes. And I think you've been misled on a couple points. Please tell me. <laughs> okay. M- most of this meltdown isn't isn't because your average white middle-class person went out and bought things they couldn't afford, says Tim Riley, speaking as he always does in defense of white middle-class people. Yes. The, the first victims of this were what, me, what may be referred to as minorities, who before this didn't happen, did not have a toehold on the American dream. Mm-hmm. They were misled into believing that they could buy these, and because they're interest-only, the interest rose. Right. Because they were misled into this, you have a big pool of homeowners who, before this, were not qualified to do this. So that's where it started. It it didn't begin because people, were, uh, your average homebuyer, was trying to mislead finance companies or banks. the The financial people went after people who could not afford to buy houses and convinced them that they could do that. And that's where all this started. Okay, so it's now I got then a couple follow up questions. Sure. One. Is isn't like aren't aren't there like rules and whatnot that banks have to follow about well, no. like like oh. selling something to somebody who clearly can't pay for it? No, it there, seems like the government there, ought to. There was like, not right. There should have been some regulation going on, but you know there's been this government hands-on policy right. on banks and financial institutions. It seems like so th- there was a whole second tier uh, of loans that were issued that were not issued before this began. So it seems like in the future, because it obviously wasn't that way in the past, it seems like in the future there ought to be some sort of government regulation where the government says, like, look, it, you know, you can't be selling a house to a guy who obviously, Correct. from any by any rational, uh, you know, sort of assessment of the situation, can't pay for it. Correct. So, so it, it it just started really small. They went after an you know another serve market people who could not pay the average twenty percent down right. as banks used to do. Right. And so they pulled in this entire market of people, not realizing that the interest rates were going to go up. Is this the so-called predatory lending? Yes, it is. All right. So it's like a payday loan only for ho- but for houses this time. It's not even necessarily a payday loan. It's like one of those, uh, it's like that guy who hangs out in an alley with a trench coat full of Rolexes. Right. Goes, oh, I got a guy here. He'll lend you some money. 28% VIG. So, so unless, in many cases, then a year later, these people realize, hey, we've been swindled. But right. we were led to believe... Long- I don't know who's... I'm not even touching my computer. 
But they were led to believe that they could finally, you know, get a toehold right. on owning property. You know, the big ownership society thing. Right. So that's how it all started. So this is sort of a this is a confluence of uh, of home buyers who did not really honestly assess their own income and bought things they couldn't afford, coupled with people who went out and found people who wanted to buy things they couldn't afford. Absolutely. All right. They didn't say no to anyone. No, that's what. See, that that's the thing. And, right. and they were and they were led to believe that they could do this. Well, but you know, and. and, and because there were no regulations, there was nothing to stop anybody from doing it. It's a lot, you know, but it's kind of like those, uh, you know, those jackasses that get on late night television sometimes. And I won't mention, I won't mention the name of this particular person, although you would certainly know his name if I were to say it. Uh, and I hate to be a guy using a phrase like that because it always frustrates me. But you know who I'm talking about? Is some jackass always pitching books on late night television about like, did you know that I've got a cancer cure? Right? It's a cancer cure the big pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know about. And he gets on that. This is the same guy who's always pitching some book, uh, you know, about, you know, would you like to be able to, would you like to be able to, uh, you know, either A, like increase your memory, mm -hmm. B, uh, you know, lose 50 pounds in three and a half days, uh, C, you know, would you like to be able to run a marathon followed by memorizing the entire Encyclopedia Britannica in 15 seconds? You know, and then that guy gets on television late at night, often sitting around a table with an alleged panel of experts and just regular folks. And he talks about health cures that the big companies and the government don't want you to know about. Right. And it's all they well, what's this? Well, if you go eat a shovel full of dirt from the backyard, your psoriasis will go away. And, of course, nobody believes that to be true. But there are people who convince themselves that it's going to be, you know, that it's real, just like people who get spam in their inbox. Well, buy foreclosed homes for $125. Flip it and sell it. Uh, yeah, so, nobody's flipping anything right so, now. So this was sort of the, and we'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll kick off the news hour. So this was sort of the real estate equivalent. Pay of payday loans. Or of, I was going to say, of uh, maybe some of the less savory, unsolicited advertisements one, re one receives in their email. Mm -hmm. uh, where they, you know, like where the, where the guy says, like, uh, look, would you uh, like to make a million dollars in just nine months? I'm the president of Nigeria. Or would you like to increase the size of your member by 15% in just a day and a half? And it's people who wanted to believe that, coupled with a company who was willing to take advantage of their gullibility. And because these people were shut out from the market forever, and all of a sudden, they had the opportunity to be part of it. Right, right. And that is America. That really wanting is. Wanting to be included in the big group of people. Well, you know, and it's, uh, as we always do, we take it right back to Susie Orman, who says, trying to impress people who don't care about you anyway. So buy property in St. John's. <laughs> Tim Riley, you're the greatest person ever. Eat snacky smoke. Uh, back after this, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, I can't even, now I can't remember. I can't remember to save my life. Okay, we were just, so I was just reading it, I was just telling Sarah and uh, Tim during the break here. So I was doing my whole, my, my, my Futurama Do Not Tip Delivery Boy voice earlier. And so, uh, so I just got an email. So I got an email from a Hispanic man who said that my Italian accent sounded like the Laotian next door neighbors on King of the Hill, which is set in Texas, which is like so many different layers of linguistic goodness. It just makes my brain melt. But I can't remember. Han. Is it Han? No, no, no. Oh, I don't know. No, Han is the guy in the Clerks animated series. You know, that's not important enough to call. I know that you can just email that to me. Hank Hill's Laotian next door neighbor. Because because Hank keeps thinking, Hank keeps calling them like 
He keeps thinking they're Japanese or whatever, and then he has to, the guy has to keep pointing out that they're from Laos or whatever. Anyway, all right. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Rick, I don't know if this goes over the air, but the uh, on the stream I just heard an ad slash PSA for Volunteers of America that I swear is voiced by Keith David. That did, in fact, just play. Do you have the uh, do you have that PSA? Mm-hmm. Is it, in fact, a PSA for Volunteers of America? Is that a PSA or a spot? PSA. Yeah, can you play just a little bit? After I came home from the war, I lost everything. See if you can place <laughs> this job, voice, not this one. My family. But this place, this is where I started to put my life back together. A few weeks You'll hear a very uh, stentorian male voice come on here in a bit. You, we won't miss it. I'm staying here in this room while he recovers. Without this place, I don't know what I'd do. At Volunteers right of here. America... We envision a world where everyone... You know who that voice is, Sarah? That's the dude from Battlestar Galactica. Twelve years my family lived in uh, that house. Picture that voice going, Made Mary. No! Yeah! No! Yeah! Why? 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 No, 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 you gotta let it play now. That's when I knew. <laughs> I don't want to hear him. But it's not just about having a place to call home. Yeah! It's about improving lives. Through our programs and support, our promise... I didn't take it out to get some air. ...so that no one will be left behind. After all... Who are there you we go. as a society? Also, the voice of Spawn those? in the HBO animated series. Also, he's the guy that has that nine-minute fist fight with Roddy Roddy Piper in the movie They Live. We're going to be having a gathering on Saturday. All good people. Pretty girls such as yourself be a big hit. Okay. Oh, it's Khan. That's who lives next door. Khan. All right. Khan! It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's New News Hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Well, I don't know what's going on here. I don't really ever know what's going on. A rolling ball of confusion, Tim. It is. It certainly is interesting. Did you, did you, you got that email the other day. It was a woman named Linda. Very nice woman. She wrote us a very courteous and cordial email to Tim and myself, and she said... I've been listening to you. I'm paraphrasing here, but she said, I've been listening to your program for 10 years. She's been listening since 1999. She said, I've been listening to your program for 10 years, and she's just now emailing about this. And I, you know, it's a very sweet email. But she's just now emailing. She goes, I've been listening to your program for 10 years, and I am sort of confused by something. Sometimes I tune in, and it seems like you cover many, many, many different topics over the course of a show. It doesn't seem like each day's show has one topic that lasts all four hours. I find this very confusing. Have you ever considered having one topic or thread that goes through the entire program? I find your show sort of puzzling sometimes. You know, love the show, Linda, or whatever. So I email back, and I say that not having a thread really kind of was the thread, and sort of the way that our brains worked. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. I mean, there have been people at other stations who, who tried to pick a topic once an hour for people to comment on, but... There are people they, in the they past... They did that show practically for nothing. <laughs> As a matter of fact, some did it for nothing. Well, anyway... Now I don't know what we're talking about. I was also going to say that there have been versions of this program uh, in which there were um, external forces who decided that I ought to talk about one thing every hour and then every hour change it to something oh, else, so and that was bad. Oh, I, oh, that's who you're talking about. Oh, yeah. They read. You know who he's talking about there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. That, that was many moons ago. Yes. They're gone, but we're still here. That was a terrible program that guy did. It was. Yeah, have another quarter pounder, friend. Oh, and I remember those meetings that we had with unsaid people about you keeping on one topic. Yeah. That was terrible. Yes, it was. All right, here's Tim Riley. Well, it's old hat. Anyway. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you about this, uh, this wrestling champion who got in a wrestling match in Gresham. It happened at a plaid pantry. 
Now, this guy says he is a five-time Cuban national wrestling champ. He got in a fight with six Gresham cops over the weekend. And he withstood four hits from a stun gun before the cops were finally able to handcuff him. It all started when two officers responded to a report of a drunken belligerent man inside the plaid pantry at 590 West Powell Boulevard around 1130. They escorted him into the parking lot where he started to fight with them. Wait, hold on. Let's back up. 590. 590 West Powell Boulevard. 590 this West is, Powell Boulevard. Gresham. Oh, that's... Is, oh, that's... Oh, in Gresham. In Gresham? Mm-hmm. That, that's not a real address. I'm okay. Well, they must have given... The, it says West Powell Boulevard. Does that help? No. No, it's still the wrong address. Well, anyway... That I, would be in downtown. Well, it is a plant pantry in Gresham. There is no Powell downtown. Is there a Powell... Is, is there like a West Powell in Gresham? More than likely. That's what the Because everything said. there is... Okay, well, never mind. They, don't call. Don't call. I can hear people picking up the phones. Don't. I don't care that much. All now, right. This is the Gresham Plaid Pantry, 1130. They escort the guy to the lot. He starts fighting with the cops. The more cops arrived, after a three-minute struggle, they were finally able to force him to the ground. Police said repeated hits from a stun gun appeared to have no effect on the man, and he was incredibly strong. Once he was in custody, the man told police he was a Cuban wrestling champion and that the officers Excellent. messed with the wrong one. Yeah. And that's what he thinks. So his name is Walter Torrente Vila. He's 28 from the Couve. He was taken to Multnomah County Jail on charges of trespassing, criminal mischief, resisting arrest, disorderly conduct, cocaine possession. So this is a Cuban man from Vancouver wrestling with the cops in Gresham. Mm, yeah. All right, then. Uh, three officers were hurt during the struggle, and uh, they have been unable to confirm whether or not he's a Cuban wrestler. So they hit him yeah, pretty well. And three times with the with the taser it took. Did you see this picture? No. Is it's it huge? Gnarly. Oh, is he? Let me, can, I, can I see the photo? Yeah. So why would... Um, oh, they lit him up. Like wow. You really can't go to a plaid pantry and start trouble. No, no, you really can't. Uh, let's see. Officers arrived. A three and three minutes struggle with the cops is pretty serious because I mean the cops are trained. You know they know how to three take you down. Three minutes is a long time. I mean three minutes is. I mean that's that that is a long time to be fighting with multiple police officers who are you know trained to sort of take you down and put you in the restraining hold or whatever. Three minutes struggle. Finally, with force gun. Repeated hits from a stun gun had no effect on the man, and that he was incredibly strong. Well, maybe he was a Cuban wrestler. Maybe he was just hopped up on angel dust, Tim. I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just speculating. No. Because, you know, when I was young, they told you that... Here's a question. This I really do have a question about this. This is not going to be about uh, the, the sound that ducks make when they quack and whether or not it's phonetically accurate. That was accurate. a great show. Can I tell you this? When I went home, I was talking to my wife uh, last night, and she, she sort of... In, in talk radio, they will always tell you never to listen to the the opinions of your friends uh, you know, romantic partners, whoever, about your program, because they they were they are either going to be too critical or they're not going to be critical enough. Um, and so, having been together for you know ten years or so now, Lars actually pretty good about this. And plus, she doesn't listen to the show all the way through. She listens to it the way that a lot of people listen to the radio: five minutes here, forty minutes there, in and out of the car, whatever. So I was talking to her about yesterday's program, and she said, she said, you know, she goes yesterday's or today's show is something last night. She goes today's show is just like radio for stoners. And I said, what do you mean? She goes. Do you know you have a 35-minute discussion about the sounds that different animals make and whether uh, sheep say ba or ma and whether ducks say quack or mac? You do realize you had people calling up and they were just making duck sounds on the air and you all giggled hysterically at it, right? You know that you were busy trying to figure out how to phonetically spell the sound that a cow might make in Hamburg, Germany. And I said, by God, that does sound like radio for stoners. That's the way to a 40 share. So yesterday's show was great. I agree. Today's show, though, now here's a, but here's another thing. So um, we were talking about this wrestling guy, uh, and here's a discussion like yesterday's discussion about 
you know, the sound that animals make and so forth. Because this is a thing I have always heard. Just like yesterday, I've always heard, always heard that thing about how, you know, uh, like, like chickens in Spain say peo or whatever. I have always heard, and I think we have all heard, probably for most of our lives, that drugs, especially angel dust, give you a superhuman strength. Is that true, or is that just some crap your teachers told you to keep you off of the junk? I think that might be true. You think so? Yeah. I don't even really know what angel dust is. What kind of a drug? Is it a hallucinogen? I'm not, I don't know anyone who takes it. I mean, I actually don't know what angel dust is. You know, and now that I think about it, I know is a it lot. A fancy of, name for like cocaine? No, it's called. It's a, angel dust is a fancy name for PCP, which is penicyclopine, I think. I only know that because it's mentioned in the movie Trading Places, where Frank Oz is, is going through um, is going through Winthorpe's pockets. This is angel dust. You ever seen what this does to kids? You are looking at three to five mandatory. He says in Trading Places. So that's really all I know about it. But angel dust is one of those things, and let, let, let's not pretend that we're, uh, uh, that we're more innocent than we are. We all know people who take drugs or have taken drugs. I don't think I know anybody who, to, to my knowledge, I don't think I know anybody who's taken angel dust. I know a lot of people who've taken almost everything. I don't think I know anybody who's ever just sniffed, smoked, injected. I don't even know how you take it. I don't think I've ever heard the word angel dust and someone, you know, intending on doing it come out of anybody's mouth. Dude, come over to my house. We're all going to do angel dust. Who does that? Not in my neighborhood. Maybe angel dust doesn't really exist. Maybe it's like a fake drug, like uh, you know, like it's one of those drugs from a Philip K. Dick novel or something. You know what I mean? Or it's that uh, it's that drug from RoboCop. All right. Somebody will. Co- People are calling about angel dust right now. Attention, advertisers. You too can reach this key demographic. Uh. Anyway, so they hit this guy with a stun gun three times. Can you build up a tolerance to a stun gun? Yes, yeah, I would imagine so. I wonder. All right. Uh. Let's see here. Well, let's just get some of these. Uh... Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Oh, I wasn't calling about uh, Angel Dust. I was calling about those late night infomercials. All right, can can you hold on just one second, sir? We'll yes, come sir. we'll come back to you. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Are you calling about Angel Dust? Hey, Rick. Are you? I am. Uh, are you calling about Angel Dust, sir? I'm calling about the Cuban wrestler that came to my house. Now, is this the same Cuban wrestler we're discussing? Yes, I live. Mm, uh, well, right down all right. The well, let's well let's back up for a second. First of all. Uh, let's say that we have no way of knowing whether what you're saying is true or not. We have only your... There may be more than one Cuban wrestler. We have only we have only your, your claim to go on here, and we make yeah. uh, no claims as to the truth of this call. But as we walk carefully through these moments, let's try to avoid anything that might be slanderous. Okay. Okay. That's, that's not a problem. I was just... I, I heard the story from Tim. Yes. And uh, over the weekend, it was... I don't know how late at night it was, but... I'm standing outside with my buddy having a cigarette, and a guy in a car slams on his brakes as passing by our house and gets out and uh, starts uh, talking about uh, how he's from Cuba for a little bit and then starts talking about this wrestling that he did, five-time world champion wrestler. And then conversation went into he's from Jamaica and the Bahamas and Miami, and uh, it was just the strangest thing. Had no idea what was going on with this guy. Did uh, that story say what time was he actually arrested? Eleven thirty. Eleven thirty. Eleven thirty. Okay. Like maybe he was maybe he was stopping to pre-funk at your house. That's, well, and that's the other thing. He uh-huh. he was he was trying to get us to come back to his hotel room to party with him, wow. and uh, started pulling money out of his pockets and trying to give us money and sell us all sorts of uh, interesting things. So okay. well, I, uh, well, we'll see what the wheels of justice do to him. Okay. Never okay, adult. Well, what what part of Portland do you live in? I live in I live in Gresham. You know, most beautiful, beautiful <laughs> place in, in the world. Never. So is there a West Powell in Gresham? 
I don't know what it because that the address didn't sound. It doesn't make any sense. Let me. It doesn't. But the address is all along Powell. Five ninety um, West Powell Boulevard. Out in Gresham, they, none of them make sense. You know, and well, they in Portland they do that thing too, where a street they do this in Spokane as well. A street will start in one part of Portland. And then it will just stop, and the street won't exist for like 30 miles, and then the street picks up somewhere else, like like way on the other side of the city. That happens all... I remember when, one time when I was... Uh, I'm trying to go to La Luna, back when La Luna was open, way, way back when, like in 91, 92, and I wasn't that familiar with Portland, but I was staying with my sister, blah, 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 long story, trying to go see Carcass at La Luna, and man... Just for the life of me, I couldn't figure out where the hell I was going because I was doing that thing of, like, again, a street stopping, and then it picks up five miles that way into the left. I mean, it's just uh, this whole city is designed by the people who are drunk. Uh, all right, well, we'll look at it. All right, thank you, sir. Yeah, no problem. All right, there you go. So, yeah, streets in this city are just I, – I really weep for anybody who moves to Portland and trying to find their way around. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. You're calling about Angel Dust. Yes. God, all my knowledge of Angel Dust comes from 70s uh, – Police dramas such and after as short, specials, yeah, such as the short lived, such as the pilot for the short lived uh, series David Cassidy Man Undercover. Short lived. <laughs> Moving okay. on, uh, yeah. So, what is your angel dust? No, no look sure. it up. Short lived. Look it up. No, um, short lived. Angel dust. Uh, PCT was originally an elephant tranquilizer. You're making that up. Well, wait. Let's let's back up. You're not necessarily making it up, but you are in fact repeating something that is from a David Cassidy series. Something from yeah, from uh, 70s cop dramas. From a cop and drama that school specials and news reports. And from a cop drama that was what? 70s cop dramas, after school specials, and news reports. And it was short live from the 70s. Yes. All right. Yeah. Okay. Elephant tranquilizer. Elephant tranquilizer. All right. Thank you, sir. My right. pleasure. There you go. All right. Let's try another one. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Uh, do you know anything about Angel Dust? Yes, I do. Okay. How do you know this, sir? If you want to tell us. I really don't, but uh, uh, chemistry class and uh, a few other things. Uh -huh. um, PCP, Angel Dust is PCP, and PCP is a synthetic drug of LSD. So depending on the trip you have, depends on what it does to you. Some people weep and see strange things like LSD, and some people have superhuman strength because their adrenaline is going so high. Cocaine will do the same thing to some people, too. Well, because cocaine is a very powerful stimulant, so that makes sense. Yes. But I wouldn't think that a hallucinogen would give you, uh, you know, like like extra extra pep or zing or whatever. I would think that you would just sit around and be staring and watching the walls melt. Kind of, but it, it, it affects the brain differently mm. than, than, like, than LSD does. All right. All right. Uh, and Gresham does have a West Powell. It's on the west side of Main Street. The west side of Main Street in Gresham is Powell. Yes. All right. All right. Thank you and, for the clarification. Yes? And one other thing. Uh-huh. The way the city was made, the way the streets to do that, is when they first originally did the city, a guy sat down and drew straight lines, and when they intersected with something else or a town or a hamlet that was already there, they just went around and continued on. That makes you know that makes all the sense in the world because the the other version that I always heard about that why Portland streets are just so completely effed up in terms of geographic you know you know the relativism of the streets. The thing I always heard is that there were you know four different quadrants: southwest, southeast, northwest, northeast, that started completely you know like in different areas from one another, not touching, not anywhere near each other. And as the quadrants grew, they each had their own street system, and then as they grew together. Those dividing lines are where the street system changes because, again, it was four different quadrants with four different yeah. systems that all kind of grew and attached. Yeah, because, you know, you, you think of uh, Montevilla was a separate town by itself. Right. Park Rose was a town. 
et cetera, et cetera. But when they first put the streets down in Portland, they actually did have some foresight and planning, and they just drew lines straight across. All right. And went, well, we'll just continue on. All right. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Hey, you bet. All right. There you go. I don't feel like we're really any closer to having a... Uh... Uh, you know, we're having a, like a definitive answer on the PCP question. Because Richie, I'm sorry, somebody like Richie was typing on the screen that this guy's... Richie, are you saying this guy's uh, wrong about PCP? About it being like LSD. Is it not like LSD in your experience? Not even close. Who wants so, to have... so Richie has done the angel dust? Who wants to have Richie come in and talk about angel dust? Now we might as well. Richie, please come in and talk about Angel Dust. All right. Do you have a song? I do. Let me just uh, find it over here. It's probably going to be a little loud, Sarah. You'll want to uh, modulate. There we go. Uh, if I could just... Uh... There we go. So welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, our intrepid PA, Richie Bristol. Hello, sir. How are you today? Hello. All right. So, you know, haven't we had the Croc discussion before? Have you just finally... Is he wearing Crocs and socks again? He is. And I mean, don't you wear one or the other? You wear shoes and socks, or you wear Crocs. I mean, look. But that being said, I mean, where if you know, I got to be honest. If you came in and you had Crocs and no socks, I'd be grossed out by that too. So there's really no, you really have no. Uh, that's a Kobayashi Maru of footwear right there. There's, there's, there's no way you can win in that in that scenario. All right, PCP. Uh, Is this a thing you did uh, when you were a Ute? Nope, I've never done that. Well, wait. So how did? So whence are you deriving this information? Uh, well, we're talking about the chemical compounds. Like it's made like he said it was made like LSD. Right. It's not even close. Okay. But, I mean, but do you have any knowledge of the PCP's effect? Well, actually, I have, uh, when I was younger, a uh, stepsister mm-hmm. and stepbrother. Mm-hmm. My stepsister took it a lot. Right. And she ended up in damage. Oh, is that the mental place? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, did it make her all nutty? Yeah. Well, I guess by definition it did. Uh-huh. So. so it's a hallucinogenic. Yeah. It's it's a tranquilizer of some sort. It's... I can't even pronounce the name of it. See, but okay, but I don't understand that. How can it be a tranquilizer and a hallucinant? If it was a tranquilizer, it would be a depressant, I would think. Well, it's a d- Not unlike, it would be, you know, it would be like, it would be a barbiturate, basically. It's a receptor, uh, <laughs> you antagonist. Have no, you have no, no idea. No, it's a receptor antagonist, just like ketamine and a, a couple other drugs. You kind of freak me out sometimes. <laughs> just like ketamine and other drugs. Who just has that knowledge at their disposal? Well, I was a chemistry major. Uh-huh. Actually. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Did you teach chemistry class to the other students in the neighborhood? No, I actually worked at a company that paid for me to go to college to take chemistry. And so as part of chemistry class, they were teaching you about PCP? No, What school but, was this? But when you're very... Is this a mail-order college of some kind? <laughs> no, it was a state college. In college, a guy taught in the back of his van, maybe, by a bowling alley? No, I had to get a B or better, and they would reimburse me for my classes. Who feels like we are closer to an answer on this? I feel I, I really do feel like it seems like it started out as some kind of tranquilizer, and then now it's a hallucinogenic that people take, and it makes them crazy. All right, so it's a tranquilizer that they discovered had hallucinogenic properties. Yeah, plus, I mean, in the olden days, in the 80s and stuff, people would be on this. You'd hear the stories about, In like, the olden days, in like, the 80s. In the 80s. Uh-huh. Uh, you'd hear stories about cops arresting people on PCP see, and stuff, but and they see, could shoot them six times, and it wouldn't yeah, do anything. Yeah, but see, but I bet that's crap. I don't believe that. I, oh, that yeah. just That doesn't seem like it's possible. You don't feel nothing. They don't know nothing. They're out of reality. You know, what you should do is, you know, shoot shoulders, soldiers up with PCP and drop them in Iraq. and then <laughs> That seems like a great idea, Richie. a bunch of Terminators running around. It's almost hard to believe you're not in charge of foreign policy. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Richie Bristol. Okay, bye. All right, there you go. Does it seem like this is one of those days inside one of those weeks, inside one of those months? Because I know that I'm, uh, 
I know that I'm feeling like a little bit of a crazy vibe the last few days, and I don't think it's just me. Uh, the caller's a little bit of a crazy vibe. Uh, I think uh, all of us here in this uh, room are perhaps fixating on things that even by our own admittedly flexible standards are just monumentally unimportant. Like the animal noises? It's fascinating. So, I, angel dust? Well, we'll get some more calls here in a moment. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. There's another local story. Let's talk to you about Mary Billy. She's 75 years old, lives in Hazeldale. Mary Billy could go to prison for 12 years and found guilty of trying to shoot her neighbor. She pled not guilty when she was arraigned. This dispute started in August when she was upset over a hole dug by her neighbor. So then she filled in the hole with concrete. When the neighbor began digging concrete out of the hole, Mary Billy got a 22 caliber pistol, allegedly fired once into the ground, then a second time, hitting the neighbor in the arm, he called police. A neighbor caught the shooting on tape. Mary Billy was originally booked and released on bail in order to stay away from that neighbor. Other neighbors say Mary Billy is so frustrated with the neighbor because he was fixing cars in his house, and he kept beehives in his backyard. Uh, Deputy said they already responded to the residents at least two times in the past 12 months to handle complaints between Mary and her neighbor. Okay. Never mind. What was the question? Nothing. I have no question. I was going to open my mouth and make an observation about Mary Billy, but you know what? I'm going to let it go in the interest of expediency, Tim. The newest member of the Oregon legislature has something on his record no politician would want. Used to be a woman. No. Oh. I got nothing. Mark Wingard, uh, Wilsonville Republican. Used to be a woman. No. Oh, okay. Uh, apparently, he struck his son with a screwdriver. Uh, he first brought up the assault case in January, contacted the media to say, yes, he hit his then seven-year-old son in the head with a screwdriver in anger in 2001, leaving a bump on the boy's head. He went on to win the Republican primary in May, then was appointed to his seat. He denied other allegations of abuse. Court records, however, show the boy's mother who said in 2004 that the assault was part of a history of abusive behavior. The lawmaker said the other allegations were made to gain an advantage in his custody battle. Wait, let me understand this. So he's admitting to hitting his kid with a screwdriver when the kid was seven? Mm. And not, not not hitting his kid accidentally like a whole, watch daddy throw this into the tool. Oh, it's in the back of your head. Mm. But in sort of an angry kind of a way? Yes, he was angry. And yet any other allegations are completely unfounded? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He said he has matured since the assault case. Yeah, he was how old then? Uh, well, old enough to be having a kid, apparently. Say, yeah. Really, look, if you got it, this should go without saying, but really, if you need uh, to be told or maybe just have like a one-strike thing about not throwing a screwdriver at the head of a seven-year-old kid, maybe you ought not be reproducing, huh? You know? Just give that a little pondering. And see, here we go. So it begins. Rick, PCP is not even close to LSD in structure or in effect. I taught chemistry. See, so, th- so this is going to be one of those things where nobody knows. We're going to spend the whole day, and at the end of it, we're going to be just as dumb as we were when we came in. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Tim, Sarah. Hello. Uh, hi. Hey. <clears throat> these uh, late-night infomercials, you know, where these guys claim to be experts about, you know, uh, resolving your debt or curing cancer, they yes, always sir. have to seem a panel of uh, hot chicks. No, always. Uh, always. I don't They're... think the hot chicks are going to disagree with the host. They never do. <laughs> they always seem to do very well taking his advice. Uh, I will tell you this. Here's, here's another. I was watching an infomercial. On t- and, you know, infomercials, really, that's where some of your finest comedy happens right now. I mean, forget sitcoms. Uh, forget reality programs. Forget the stupid improv humor. It really, some of your finest entertainment value is found right there in the American infomercial. Well, they built a huge studio in Burbank for just for infomercials. Just for those. Yeah. Like that, what is that, that magic bullet thing that, like, uh, blends up food and whatever? Mm-hmm. And what about that? 
I've talked about this one before. I forget what it's called. But it's that it's got a terrible name, and I can never remember what it is. But it's that thing that woman sells. It's like a George Foreman grill, but it's split in half, and oh, it's yeah. like a mini omelet thing on either side. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I watched her for like an hour the other oh, night. Oh, man, I love that infomercial. It always makes me hungry, too. And, you know, here's the thing. If I had one of those, and this is how they get you, I would think to myself, if I had one of those, I'd use it every day. But you know what I did use last night? My George Foreman grill. I use my George Foreman grill. Lauren, I do probably twice a week. That's a fan. That's one of the best things I ever bought. Uh, but, no, you're totally correct, sir. A while back, I was watching an infomercial, and I won't say who it starred, uh, but there was a prominent male adult film star who was hosting, and it was for a product that was guaranteed to, of course, enlarge your member. And the host was a very famous adult male uh, porn star. And it, he was doing the whole infomercial by himself, talking about, you know, take the pill and, you're, you know, your junk will be your junk will be 20 percent, you know, bigger or whatever. He was doing the whole thing. And the entire infomercial, there's some brainless girl standing next to him, huge implants, smiling at the camera, tilting her head every now and again, kind of, you know, giving that big vacant look like sort of a real loyal uh, schnauzer or something does. She didn't say one thing. They had 28 minutes by my watch. She didn't say a single word. She sat there, and every now and again, she would kind of tilt her head and put her hands on her hips and sort of, you know, and like, like kind of, you know, like kind of, like kind of move her hips a little bit. And then she would giggle, and then she'd go back to just staring blankly at the camera. And it became almost like this weird, she was like a magic eye painting, but like made out of silicone, where I was staring at her. And just like they're on floats in the swimming pool in the background, <laughs> defocusing de my eyes a little bit and staring at her, wondering if like some magic image would appear because she didn't really seem to have any other demonstrable purpose there. And you're right. They normally are standing or floating or sort of swimming or otherwise frolicking in a swimming pool in the backyard while some fat bastard is going. And five years ago, I was a million dollars in debt. And today... I own 75 homes, and I have sex with models on huge piles of cocaine. I did it because they took advantage of my mother. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you, my friend. Hey, one more thing. Yeah. I'm going to be at a Film Fever radio event tomorrow night. And, yes, sir. Uh, I'm going to give Scott Daly something to pass along to you, and uh, it has to do with Batman. So hopefully all right. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. All right. There you go. Uh, let's do one more, and then we'll take a break. Get more calls on the other side and so forth. There's Tim Riley. Yes, we're evacuated from three floors of the Bellagio in Vegas this morning after a mattress caught fire. Left one man burned. Others complained of smoke inhalation. Happened at 5.50. The fire was contained in one guest room as hotel sprinklers doused the flames. But smoke and water damage? The 26th floor of the MGM Mirage. Yes, on the other floors, uh, apparently were told to leave and then they came back. Uh, some guests from the 25th and 27th floor of the 3,000-room tower were evacuated voluntarily. They were allowed to return later this morning. And they're still investigating the cause of the fire. Probably smoking. Oh, by the way, so somebody's claiming that the PCP was invented by the Germans. That wouldn't surprise me. And Germans invent everything bad. And you know what I'm talking about. Well, most of those Nazis marching all over the place were high on something. High, you know, well, you know why? Because, marching into Russia. Because you, you know what the Germans did invent, Tim Riley? And this is true, is what they call a checkable fact. A, the Germans invented amphetamines mm -hmm. and then perfected amphetamines. B, Germans invented cocaine. Cocaine was invented in a German laboratory. And a lot of people say, well, cocaine is a naturally occurring thing, which isn't really true. Uh, there's the coca leaf, you know, which has a small amount of the alkaloid or whatever that causes, you know, the, the cocaine. But, of course, you know, the leaf also has, I was watching this whole thing on Peru the other day because Lara's going to go there. And, you know, they, 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 in Peru and a lot of places like that, you know, a coca leaf is like a cup of coffee. You just jam it in your mouth and you kind of chew on it. 
And it has the alkaloid that is the active ingredient in cocaine, but the leaf also contains a balancing or mellowing agent. So when you chew on a coca leaf, all you really get is a very mild sort of pleasurable pick-me-up. Again, not on like a you know a cup of espresso or something. But of course the Germans, doing what they always do, making things more evil and efficient. So the Germans just figure out a way to take the coca leaf, extract just the cocaine part, completely remove the mellowing agent, and then make it into a powder that you can jack into your nose. So, so we have the Germans to thank for all kinds of things. Thank you, Germans. Thank you. All right, let's um, take a break. We'll come back after this. If you're on hold, hang tight. More phone calls around the corner. Tim Riley continues the news. Later on, we'll talk to Cena Radio correspondent Jim Roop uh, from TMZ.com. Nina Parker. Later on, Chris Paddock's top five teenage moping songs. We have uh, Cannibal Watch, Jock Watch, Robert Plant tickets, and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Yes, sir, you're just as immature as you thought you were. Awesome. That's yeah. okay. I was a teenager for like 20 years, <laughs> if not more. All right. Oh, I'm making, speaking of teenagers, make a little note to myself about something. Gotta get to it. Right. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, CNN Radio correspondent James Roop. Uh, we will also uh, talk to Nita Parker from TMZ. Chris Paddock from Rock 101 KUFO will be here to count down his top five teenage lovelorn depression anthems and uh, so forth. Don't forget, at some point today, we'll work in a Led Zeppelin lyric at uh, the conversation. You hear us use the Zeppelin lyric in our, uh, just, uh, you know, this is part of just our general discussion here. If you're the fifth caller, you win a pair of uh, tickets to see Robert Plant and Allison Krauss next Tuesday at the Rose Garden. Tickets on sale now at ComcastTix.com. Also, one random on-air caller today wins a copy of Sports Night, the entire series on DVD. This is Tim Riley. Uh-oh. Some of your favorite pests are back. The Fruit Fly. Ugh. Flies are infestating Oregon again. Jeff Brown, the assistant uh, bi uh, professor of biology at the University of Portland, says warm weather and rotting fruit are responsible for this increase in fruit flies that begin to die off as temperatures drop. But where there's ripening or rotting fruit, you'll find fruit flies. All right, let me ask you a question, Tim. So, okay. I'm not an expert on this insect. No, 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 Tim, you're an expert on all things. Uh, so if I have, let's say, I get like a pluot. Uh, or perhaps an aprium, which is one quarter plum, three quarters apricot. If I have a pluot and I just let it sort of decay in my kitchen counter, fruit You're inviting fruit flies. Okay, fruit flies appear, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, here's my thing. Where are they before that? Where are they before they that? They just appear in my kitchen if you leave fruit. Where are they before that? I guess they live in colonies. But I mean, where? It says you're Bieberton. <laughs> well, Tim. The date line uh, I should uh, tell you that comes as no surprise to me, and I think you know what I mean. Uh, I don't know where they come from. That's what I'm saying. I kind of thought about they're, that, too. I'm they're like, mostly like, an annoyance, and they don't carry diseases. Okay, they but, just grow out of your like dirty pots. But, I'm, but that's, what they, that's exactly my thing, right? It's like they come out of the fruit itself almost. Mm -hmm. It's like you let the fruit decay, suddenly, bam. And, it, and it's like in one day. One day, no fruit flies. Next day, boom. Around your kitchen, and you just like sit there going, like, where the hell do these things come from? You know, and it's like the old thing. I've never seen a baby pigeon. Blah 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 blah. Which I don't or want to talk chickadee. about. Uh, no, I've seen a chicken. I saw one online yesterday. Um, so, but I mean, are they just? Is there some? Is there some like? Um, 
Is it like, is there some fruit fly union hiring hall where they're all just sort of hanging out until the word goes out? Like, hey, hey, there's a guy in southeast Portland rotting fruit. Rotting fruit, here's the address. And like, you know, like the Danny DeVito dispatcher guy in a cage sends them out on the call to my house. I mean, they must be hanging around somewhere. And wherever they are, how do they figure out there's fruit in my house in southeast Portland? You know what I'm saying? Fruit flies are just out living somewhere else. Do they have a sense? Of, can they tell from like a mile away there's fruit in my house? I would imagine so. If a fruit fly is just at like Laurelhurst Park or something, how does he figure out that I got a plate full of rotting bananas in my kitchen? Doesn't make any sense at all. I don't know. I mean, if the fruit fly was offered a delicious mouth-watering steak, it would pick the apple. I'm just saying it's a terrifying and almost supernatural ability that they have, and I find the whole thing to be more than a little disconcerting. That's the only option. Do you want to get rid of the fruit flies in your kitchen, man? I, I want to get. Okay. Set out a shallow dish of apple cider vinegar. The smell will attract the flies, causing them to become cut in the liquid and die before your eyes. <laughs> All right. That's what I'll do. It's like how you catch uh, slugs with beer or whatever. All right. Uh, here's Tim Riley. Increased cheap travel is being blamed for the rise of bed bug infestations. Pest control companies say there's been a 40% rise in the number of call-outs over the past 12 months. Uh, some countries, including the U.S. and Britain, are struggling to cope with infestations of bed bugs. Apparently, these, uh, oh, they come from secondhand clothes, mostly, uh. and secondhand furniture. The burning of, of certain chemicals in the 1960s and 70s, plus a general lack of awareness, is also to blame. The bed bug, also known as the semi-lectorious, hides under carpets or in headboards or skirting boards. This is a red or brown nocturnal creature. It can lay up to 500 eggs in the space oh, of two months. See, I and it wanna... feeds on human blood. Oh. Well, there you go. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Is this about fruit flies or PCP? Uh, PCP. All right, what do you got? Okay, uh, PCP is an animal tranquilizer, and I believe it's still being manufactured. Um, and it's like... It's not a hallucinogen uh, oh, unless you back, really... Hold on, let's back up. Are you using a pet egg or something on your face while you talk? No. There's a whole lot of... No. Do you hear, guys hear a scratching sound? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I've got a, a hands-free here. Okay. I'll quit moving. Okay, that's right. No, I just wanted... There was some sort of weird auditory chafing happening there. Okay, uh, so uh, so go ahead, sir. PCP, animal tranquilizer, what? Yeah, and it it's uh, real psychoactive, but not necessarily hallucinogenic. If you take, you know, like anything, like too much uh, Prozac or whatever... You could have a psychotic episode, whereas uh, and then and so LSD is completely different. Um, and when I was in the army, I saw a guy. I had to testify in a guy's trial because he went nuts on PCP and uh, grabbed, jumped through this guy's window from outside, jumped through his window and attacked him. And he's probably still breaking rocks in Leavenworth right now. But um, the back then in 78, it was real popular. I think there was a cover story on Rolling Stone. And uh, in the Army, there was so much of that stuff going around. We, we called guys moonwalkers because they would, like, you'd see them out on, in the hallway with both hands up against the wall holding, you know, holding themselves up for support. And it would take them, like, an hour to get down the hallway. Drugs are fun. Another guy mm. I saw, uh, I actually saw this. He passed out. Me and a guy had to pack him off. The pool table, he was asleep on the pool table uh-huh. on top of pool balls. Okay. There was a whole rack of pool balls, and he was laying on it. All right, then. All right, thank you, sir. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right, then. Like the phone was in his pants or something, and he was busy hurriedly going down a hallway. All right. Well, there you go. So there's uh, yet another version of the PCP story, blah, blah, blah. But he does really touch on something, which is that PCP 
I think had its, you know, it was the apex of its public, you know, the public consciousness of the drug in the 70s. Because it all these like a bunch of whole did a bunch of made uh, for the TV movies about it and after school specials and he said it was on the and we were always everything that happened to you that was bad was blamed on PCP when I was in school every single thing every everything that could happen to you that would put you in jail in traction in the morgue in the hospital everything that was going to result uh, in you being injured maimed arrested beaten pummeled spindled mutilated it was all laid at the feet of PCP. Uh, PCP was the drug responsible for all ills in the world. And then it just sort of went away. And then I guess in the 90s it was ecstasy or something, and now it's meth. So really it's just a big, uh, it's just a big circle. Um, but that, you know, but he was saying if you take enough of anything to Prozac, it'll give you what they call a psychic break. That does make me think back to, you know, in school, you always hear that, like, if you took a bunch of nutmeg, you'd get high. And that doesn't seem like it could be true. And first of all, if, if it is true... I don't know how you would even swallow enough nutmeg to get high. Isn't nutmeg all dry and powdery? Yes. How would you even swallow it? It's like that thing where, you know, if you swallow a tablespoon of salt, you'll die. Well, that just seems like an academic discussion. Because, you know, who could possibly swallow a tablespoon of salt? Just like you can't swallow a tablespoon of nutmeg. That seems fundamentally at odds with itself. All right. Uh, here's Tim Riley. Alone admitted that she helped her bullied 14-year-old son build a cache of weapons before buying him a rifle and gunpowder. But investigators still don't know if she was aware her son was planning a deadly school attack. Michelle Cozy pled guilty to one count of child endangerment. Uh, her son bullied over his weight, had left school in seventh grade, and was being homeschooled. Over time, uh, violent Internet sites fueled his revenge fantasies, say his uh, defense lawyer. Uh, Montgomery County Assistant DA Christopher Parisi said he thought purchasing the weapons was an attempt to boost his self-esteem and in some way help the child as misplaced as this might have been. Michelle's Cozy's uh, sentencing won't happen until she undergoes a psychiatric examination. So she could get uh, three to five years of buying this kid guns to so boost the, his self-esteem. So, the, so he was taken out of school because he was bullied repeatedly, and he spends all this time reading, quote, revenge websites, and the mom decides the best way to boost his self-image to give him a whole, quote, cache of weapons. A rifle with a laser scope and gunpowder. And he was also uh, building hand grenades. Well, of course he was. Well, he is ambitious, Tim. Mm -hmm. Out of those, you know, he is. He's a self-starter. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What would he need gunpowder for? Did he loading a musket? Uh, uh, hi, hello, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello, Rick. I wanted to talk about fruit flies a little bit. Yes, sir. Um, you know, can I just say real quickly, every time somebody uses the phrase fruit flies, I always want to go, don't bother me. All right, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Um <laughs> Uh, it's kind of a fun way, too. If you've got a shop vac, and they're all congregated in, like, your um, kitchen, yes. you can vacuum them up. Oh, like the Tommy Boy thing, where you just... <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I've done that before. Uh, oh. There have been times when the house was just full of them, just a whole horde, and that you talk about a thing that's deeply satisfying, like me calling that restaurant, uh, you know, like on Friday to tell them where I spent my money. The, you go into the kitchen, and there's just... You know, just a cloud of fruit flies. And, man, you get that attachment with just the long, nozzly thing. It's just right through there. I mean, it's, just, it's efficient and fun. It is fun. Yes. All right. Uh, anything else today, sir? Um, no. All right. Say this for me. Say this phrase. Say KCMD Portland. KCMD Portland. Thank you. Thank you. All right. There you go. Uh, Thank you. Yes. Uh, Rick, I have a probation kid on my caseload who snorts nutmeg. He snorts nutmeg. Like, if you're snorting nutmeg, that doesn't make you look cool. That just makes you look like some sort of a drunky, uh, like a drunky, junky dwarf from the Snow White cartoon. You know what I mean? Uh, snorting nutmeg is snorting nutmeg is something that, like, uh, that's like something you do to get high in a Rankin-Bass special. 
No, 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 you gotta, you gotta come over here, man. That's Frosty. He's all strung out on nutmeg. Whatever. Here's Tim Riley. Okay, so let's play catch-up here. I'm going to reach into my bin and pull out a watch at random, and we'll do it. Cannibal Watch. Here's your Cannibal Watch for Tuesday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Surprisingly, this isn't a German cannibal. Uh, police in some small country. Uh, where is Kimpala? Does anybody know offhand? No. There's a picture of a giraffe, so I, I would imagine it's a jungle-type country. Uh, police there arrested a man on suspicion of cannibalism after he allegedly secretly hid a body in his house in Kareka. So Weta Kamara, who's a hawker by trade, whatever that a is. A hawker? A hawker, yeah. You mean a hawker Maybe, like by this or a hawker like... <laughs> Maybe he trains hawks. Oh, well, he oh well, I suppose there's also in a, that. a Kemp Palace suburb. Was arrested Wednesday evening when residents of a local council tipped police off to an unidentified body in his house. The Kempala police spokesman, Simeon Nzbuga, said police raided the house and recovered the covered body of a woman in his sitting room. They later arrested Kamara at a local drinking joint. Enraged residents attacked Kamara, accusing him of cannibalism, according to police. Kamara had a uh, gate pass, indicating that he had uh, signed for the body. He had a gay pass? It said gate pass. Oh, okay. Uh, signed for the body at a hospital mortuary. One of the residents said the dead woman was Annette Muzip, uh, a resident of Kareka. Police said Camaro was not a relative of the woman and demanded an explanation as to why he picked up the body from the mortuary. Uh, we have opened a case of cannibalism against Camara, and we continue in our investigation. I like that there was actually no evidence of the cannibalism, but because he went to the, the mortuary, got a body, took it home, and it propped it up in the sitting room, presumably the, uh, you know, to have a television-watching partner, they're just inferring the cannibalism. Oh, this is Uganda. Oh. Because there was the ad here, you can ship to Uganda. All right, well. With Uganda Airlines. That does explain. Wait, Uganda, that's the Idi Amin place, right? Yes, it is. Well, that place is full of cannibalism. You can travel to Rapini, or Amuro, or Bakugu. Sign me up, Tim. Yeah, Idi Amin, he was, uh, he kind of set the cannibal standard in that place. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they were, you know, they were saying at one point that Idi Amin had a whole bunch of refrigerators installed in his palace just so he could store the flesh of his victims. You know, and you, know, he was, you know, skulls were knickknacks. Well, you don't want, you don't want, you don't want it to go bad. Knickknack paddywhack, make something from this bone. All right, there you go. There's your cannibal watch. seem like there'd be enough cannibalism in this world to keep this watch going once a week, but boy, people never disappoint, do they? Or they always disappoint, depending on how you want to look at that. By the way, speaking of eat it, uh, we should note that Sarah Dillon just went to open a bag of carrots uh, because she wanted a tasty midday snack. They're covered in mold. They're rotten. They're not just covered in mold. It's like... Are they soft? No, they're soft, and there's like some kind of milky substance in there. I don't even know what's going on with this. Oh, I yes, bet they're do. from China. I bet they're from a weekend. Or what? Look at this. Like, what is that? I don't know. Oh, no. Hey, oh, well, you left it open for one thing. No, oh. I just bought those this morning. I bought is it them at sealed? A, at a grocery store. Where are they from? No, we're not going to say where. Uh, oh, you mean, the, you mean the country? Store. Oh, well, the outside of the bag is sticky. Ugh. How, how do carrots turn milky? Okay, and why? Okay, first of all, I shouldn't be able to smell these carrots, uh, like, through a sealed bag. Also, have you noticed these carrots are starting to go to mush? 
No, they're totally mush. I didn't notice because I just grabbed the bag. They were, you know, because you can get the four packs of carrots. The inside of this so bag these is... were in the middle of, you know, other packs of carrots. The inside of this bag is filled with some sort of milky liquid ivory soap type substance. Oh, God. Hmm. Ingredients, carrots, and evil... All right. I'm going to hand these back to you, Sarah. Oh, it's no. all the same to you. Well, I don't just put me off, Carrie. Don't you know, leave these you in know, my hand. You know, they're only a dollar, but yeah. I am angry enough to go and get my dollar. Take these back. I would. I don't want to hold those. But that oh. means I have to put them in my Oh, but bag. now my hands oh, smell like your sure. carrot death. Oh, I think I didn't even... You know what? I left my receipt there, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Leave them on the table in the kitchen. Somebody will eat them. That, that's, you should totally leave them in the kitchen. Along with this bottle of booze uh, in the station, in the, you know, the studio fridge here that's just made of all the other booze, you know, like mixed together. Leave a little index card that says delicious. <laughs> you are a terrible person, and I like it. All right. Oh, Jesus. Mmm, <laughs> crispity, crunchity carrots. <laughs> from my own farm. Oh, you're a bad person, Tim Riley. You are the source of all evil in the known universe. Hey, you know, can I just make a little observation about myself today? Today, I cannot uh, put two words together correctly to save my life. That's what happened to me yesterday. I can't, I'm transposing words today. I'm taking words, and I'm not just transposing them, I'm conflating two words. Like when I went to say junkie dwarf and I said drunky dwarf or something. That's what, <laughs> but we knew what we were, you're talking about. Yeah, I know. Yeah, when we were talking before the show, you were saying like the wrong words. I'm like, what are you talking? And about? when I said that bookkeeper is the only letter with three consecutive sets of letters, that doesn't make any sense. It's word. No, I didn't. I just let that one go. Yeah, but I, that's all day today, and in fact, all morning, and in fact, all last night. It was this morning too, because we were talking. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, because you keep replacing words with other words. Yeah, no, I'm transposing letters and then I'm conflating words and I'm doing a whole thing. I got some weird quasi aphasia going on today. It's uh. It's no good. Well, there's only two hours left. That's the way to look at it, Tim. Mm-hmm. All right. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, all right. And then I was uh, and then I was trying to uh, poke gentle fun at Lisa Desjardins today about her the malapropism she was using, and somebody said that I was mean to her, so then I you know, I had to like email her later and tell her I didn't mean to be mean and so forth. One of those days. And then Sarah's like a lot of crazy in the air. Sarah's got a bag full of. Mold. Milky carrots. Right. Oh, God. Tim is evil. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson oh, Show, sir or madam, as the case may be. Hey, what's shaking? What do you got, sir? I'm talking about the nutmeg thing. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I had a friend who uh, went out and bought a bottle of nutmeg, uh-huh. and him and his friend con- proceeded to consume it and smoke it. No, so his, yeah. they smoked it. They didn't eat it. No, they ate it and they smoked it. See, because it's a, but it's a very, I mean, it's a powder. It doesn't seem like that's a thing you can get down. He got like a... The chunky version of it, so they had to, like, chop it up and everything. chunky version. All yeah, right. he got, like, the stick of it or something, and he, like, chopped it up. Right. And they tried smoking it, and they ate it. Yeah. He said he got pretty uh, pretty messed up on it. What kind of, what, what sort of high does the nutmeg give you? He said it was, like, a mixture of being drunk and being stoned. You know, when and, I was, at, let's just back up for a second, because okay. as you know, language, even though I can't use language correctly today, and even though words and letters and phrases and syllables are all my enemies, and uh, they correct usage of these things is eluding me, I will say this, I love language, I love uh, the way that words are strung together and all that, and I love sort of the fluctuating and uh, evolving definitions of certain words. When I was in high school, back in the olden days of the 80s, as Richie would say, uh-huh. You just said that the nutmeg high was like being high and being drunk. When I was in high school, that was the known definition of the word baked. To be baked was to be both high and drunk. Sarah, was that your understanding? No, baked was just stoned. Tim? Lit. <laughs> what is that? What do you mean? That was what? That was, what, what was lit? 
that was being uh, high on something. Okay, now, but, but did you use the word baked? Was that a word you, your people used? I don't believe so. All no. right. Yeah, when I was in high school, because there was that song, uh, You Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC, which I do believe, although I'm not positive about this, has that line, da 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 and we were bacon. And maybe it's not even really that. That sounds kind of silly now that I say it out loud. But my friend Bill was like, yeah, bacon. When you're baked, it means you're both high and drunk. It's freaking awesome. And so that, like, in my head forevermore, that was what baked meant. So anyway, so they're saying that nutmeg was like being high and, and drunk all at once. Yeah, and he said it made him, like, really sick, like, to his stomach for hours afterwards. Yes, yes, it does. I mean, well, that, you know, but that's like, you know, if you dry out the inside of a banana peel and you scrape it and smoke it, you'll get really high. I mean, really, if you're that desperate, you're drying out the inside of a fruit and then, or going to buy nutmeg sticks and then chopping it, just hit your head against a wall five or six times when it's faster. Jesus. Well, he, he gave up smoking uh, the ganja, so he decided to take on other methods. So, so he decided that nutmeg would be a suitable replacement for marijuana. Hey, at least it's not illegal. That's how he looked at it. Well, that's, well, look, I mean, I guess he's no, he's no, uh, no better and no worse than the guy who I went to school with who would always prowl the uh, supermarket, and he would look for maraschino cherries that had gone past their expiration date because I guess if they sit there for too long, they get fermented. And he's like, dude, it's just like wine, except, you know, it's... No, see, that's not going to happen. Thank you. See, it was a clever call ruined at the end there by a euphemism that I had to bleep. By the way, he's also not as bad as the guy who lived across the street from me growing up who would drink Stetson cologne. Well, there you go. Try to picture that. You ever smelled Stetson cologne? Mm-mm. Yeah, well, I think I might have. Imagine, like, the worst thing on Richie's shelf in there. Imagine drinking that. So, that is, uh, that, you don't have to take any other questions, uh, you know, on the quiz. That is, that is question one through 99. Are you drinking goddamn Stetson cologne? I knew a guy who would carry around a bottle of nail polish with him so he could huff it. Really? Yeah. See, but at least huffing... And he was hot up until that point. I'm like, really? 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 That... We got your little, like, pearly pink nail polish and go to town there, Chance. You, found, you thought he was hot until you saw him huffing nail yeah, polish. Yeah, an then... idiot. I'm like, wow. What right. Is... Yeah, what was I thinking? It's like a girl with bad teeth, you know? You know, it doesn't matter. She could be hot as all get out. She opens her mouth and, and you just kind of go, okay. No, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up? I just wanted to give all the listeners a heads up that the, if they're heading uh, north on I-5, they might have some traffic because the bridge is up for like 15 minutes. So if they're heading north on I-5. Yeah, it's it's moving now. but uh, Which bridge are we talking about? The interstate bridge. Okay. Uh, I-5, interstate, bridge, up. Okay, so if you're heading north on I-5, it's a little uh, little little sluggish. All right. Thank you, my friend. No problem. All right. Let's do a couple more here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hey, Rick. Um, I had a buddy who lived in New York City in the late 80s who was a recreational PCP user. And uh, he would, this is wild, he would uh, do homemade tattoos on his body a la memento, but years before, to remember what had happened. Really? And then he would forget anyway. So I'd like, I'd say, what is that, um, you know, stick figure lightning bolt on your shoulder? He's like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I was high. Yeah, and then he had a, a uh, crudely drawn handsaw that he had tattooed <laughs> to his calf. That's a little creepy. Yeah. Remember to dispose of cheerleader body by lie. All right. KCMD Portland. Thank you. Got more here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Uh, hey, Rick. A uh, couple things. One kind of non sequitur. Yeah. As you uh, were, as I was uh, tearing down my uh, 
my uh, air conditioner and my oscillating fan and taking them out to the garage as mm-hmm. the summer has ended, um, you said something along the lines of knick-knack paddywhack or something like that, and I forget what it was, but I immediately, for whatever reason, finished it up with English muffin bagel in my head. So, uh, so you sort of, uh, so you, you made your own kind of mashup there inside your brain. Yes, and the other thing is I was listening to the other callers on hold. Yeah. For a long time, I used to wonder what kind of bizarre mind came and put the like the concoction of things that go into making mess together. And as listening to all these people talk about things that they heard that people <laughs> did to try and figure out how to go high, I think I've sort of figured out the mindset that, uh, you know, cre- adds kitchen chemicals together to come up with drugs. Well, you know, here's the thing about drugs, and, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm no roadmap here because I'm kind of lame in, in almost every way, but, I mean, drugs are, and I'm not passing any judgment. People can take drugs, don't take drugs. You know, everybody knows I'm sort of a small L libertarian on this. Everything ought to be legal as far as I'm concerned. Um, but it, it, people who are really into drugs, and I'm not talking about some guy who gets high now and again or, you know, some guy who, I mean, I used to know a girl who was a recreational cocaine user, which a lot of people tell you isn't possible. Those people are lying. Uh, she would do, you know, coke every now and again if somebody had it, if it was around, then she'd go a year and wouldn't do it. Uh, so, you know, so I know people who are recreational drug users, whatever. But you but you and I, we all know people who are really, like, they're into the drug lifestyle. And usually around a specific drug. And a lot of times it's weed. Uh, a lot of times, yeah, or, or heroin, sometimes cocaine. But it's like they're into the whole, like, dude, and I bought this grinder at a head shop. And it just, it's so, it grinds it so fine. And then I've got, and those are the guys who always have the coke spoon around their neck. You know, those are the people, it's like every single thing they do, everything on their MySpace page, legalize it. You're like, all right, I understand. You like to get high, you know, whatever. But th- those people are like the drug version of their idiot savants. They're like narcotic rain men. You know what I mean? Where rain man couldn't do anything else, couldn't function in any other way, but he could count stuff. And we all know people who couldn't, man, they can't hold a job, they brush their teeth, they can't wash their ass to save their lives. But, man, they can sit there and for like nine hours, they will sit there and go, what combination of chemicals under the sink can I put together to make some sort of a stimulant? And then they will like break open the textbook and they will get out the periodic table of the elements and they will be like Einstein trying to figure out how they can mix Clorox and bleach and Windex and Febreze together to get high. These are the same people who also put lots of effort to do, how can I hide my, my brother? And I won't say which one. I will just say that it's one of my older brothers. Just a waste of oxygen and a waste of skin. Who, you know, flunked out of high school. Never even graduated from high school. Just as thick as two short planks in most, of, in most ways. But you know what? You know where he devoted the cream of his intellect? How to hide drugs from my mother. And he would, I mean, he would have like some full-on like... Batman like book out of the bookcase it slides open and there's a hidden cave beneath the house stuff going on to try to hide his drugs from my mom. You know, I mean, you know, the guy couldn't have, that guy could not have spelled uh he couldn't have spelled heroin if you'd given him like the H E R O N and spotted him a vowel. But he was able to like, you know, create this whole like artificial system of catacombs behind the wall to hide his junk. So, anyway, and but I'm with you, sir. That's where these well, things come from. It's like Dennis Leary said, you know, initially he started taking up pot to, uh, you know, because he was kind of lazy and he was into it. And then he started realizing that he could make out a bong, make a bong out of anything. And then he realized that he started smoking weed and he basically ended up taking up carpentry. Yes. Making a bong out of everything. That's what I'm saying. Innocently enough with pumpkin pie, you move on from there to nutmeg and next thing you know, you're drinking Drano. All right. Thank you, sir. Yep. Bye. All right, we'll get Jim Roop in just one moment, then more from Tim Riley. Your calls still to come. Uh, Nita Parker from TMZ, Lisa Desjardins, Steve Kastenbaum. Uh, 
Wait, I'm just reading things off the Matrix now without even bothering to check whether I've already done them. Chris Paddock is what I meant to say, plus Jock Watch, etc. Uh, don't forget, uh, listener Ryan called up uh, to tell us that the interstate bridge was up. I guess it's down now. Traffic moving really slowly on the I-5. Uh, These so, are real traffic reports, uh, not traffic reports that are an hour old. From a robot, Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you are headed that way and you want to avoid it, there's still time to change the road you're on. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, from Los Angeles, CNN Radio correspondent to the stars, James Roop. Hello, sir. How do you do? Uh, are you really asking or is this just sort of a colloquial I really asking? want to know. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, you know, I'm not putting thoughts, phrases, words. You seem a little agitated today. today. It's not that I'm, well, I'm kind of growing agitated at the fact that I'm not able to speak properly today. Like, uh, it's one of those days, you ever have days where you just can't type? Welcome to my world, son. You know, some days, it's like, I'm, you know, I'm not like a speed typist or anything, but you ever have, like, uh, you know, those days where you sit down at the keyboard and you cannot type correctly to save your life? It's like you have, it's like you're trying to type in mittens. You know, it's just like you're hitting the wrong keys, and then you're adjusting the keyboard, and then you're kind of adjusting your seat a little bit, and you're thinking, all right, well, maybe somebody moved the keyboard, and that's why I can't quite type correctly. But it had nothing to do with it. It's just like there's a day where you can't quite have Today, I can't. I just can't speak. Yeah, sometimes uh, you just have those mental farts going on. That's what I'm saying. It's just yep. uh, a whole lot of not quite being able to use the King's English today. So, you know, but, uh, you know, but what are you going to do? Um, all right. So, wow. So There's a whole bunch of stuff. First of all, wasn't there a writer or a reporter or something? Did some guy taken home from the from the O.J. Simpson trial? Another guy who has some illness, some ailment? Oh. Uh, Dominic Dunn. Right, right. Yeah, Dominic Dunn got sick uh, Monday, Monday morning, and uh, they took. He's back. He's back in the courtroom today, and um, he, he, you know, he's doing fine. He's just, he's just older than God. You know, maybe the uh, maybe the O.J. Simpson trial is going to be like one of those. It's like going to be one of those cursed amulets or something, like in an old horror film, which is everybody, or like that. Uh, what is it? That the 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 tomb of Tutankhamun, where it's like everybody who went into that tomb, it's like they were walking down the street three weeks later and a piano fell on their head. Maybe the O.J. Simpson trial is just cursing everybody who, you know, now that I think about it, there's something to be said there because almost everybody who was in contact with O.J. Simpson uh, during his many uh, trips through the uh, through the criminal system, they've all just gotten taken down in that guy's wake. You know what I mean? I yeah, mean, they, he seems to be that that. Fog of death. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you touch you know, him and it just puts the disaster. Uh, it just puts the taint of fail on you. Yeah, well, yeah. that's why he's hanging out with these bozos that are involved in this case here. I mean, you talk about boobs. My gosh, these guys are complete idiots. And this Charles Ehrlich that's on the stand now, um, you, you know, he, uh, he it's it's a it's a he can barely like me. Look at me, I can barely string two words together. I just wanted to make that point for him. But it really is amazing that um, these guys are prosecution witnesses right right and it does it's hard to imagine i mean a worse well let me put it this way i can't quite figure out which it is either oj is the the friend that your parents warned you not to hang out with you know because he's going to get you in trouble or these guys are the crowd your parents told you not to hang out with and oj picks the wrong friends or quite possibly both i mean this is really there's no yang maybe maybe it's just yin and yin <laughs> i think it's both now i think at one point though before you know prior to 1994 O.J. Simpson was a guy you wanted to hang out with. I mean, yeah, he was explosive. I mean, yeah, he had it. He had his his personality clicks. But every professional football player who makes a living out of hitting other people or trying to be trying to avoid being hit by other people, um, they, they have that kind of personality. But I, I think after the 1994 murders of Nicole and Ron Goldman, I think you know that's when he had oh, nobody else to hang out with, but people who didn't care. 
what O.J. Simpson's reputation did for theirs because theirs was already in the toilet. So it is sort of like, you know, I, I make this, uh, I, I talk about this sometimes, I say, where, you know, you know, it's like some of the less savory um, businesses one might enter into in this country, some of them illegal, such as drug dealing or in many places uh, prostitution or whatever. And it's not that it's not that those businesses attract bad people per se. It is that, like, the illegal and sort of fringe nature of those businesses mean that by definition the people who get into those kinds of that kind of work are people who don't really care if they get in trouble or they've already burned all their bridges in the sort of straight world you know and so the, so therefore the illegality is what means that you're going to end up rubbing shoulders with all kinds of bad people exactly. you know that's they, exactly right right and that's what it is with OJ at this point the post 1994 OJ I, I think that's exactly what happened. And that was very eloquently said, by the way. That was very well done. See, that's the first eloquent thing I've said today. That was, it was perfectly summarized. Yeah, everything I've said today has just been ass-backward. I was apparently mean to Lisa Desjardins earlier on today. I was trying to make a seven dwarfs... Well, she probably deserved it. <laughs> she, had, she was asking for it, Jim. <laughs> uh, I was trying to make a seven dwarfs joke earlier, and I mangled that. So I was all uh, disproportionately testy about this Italian restaurant I was uh, trying to eat at last night. It was all very... Uh, it's been a bit of a day for me, but you know what are you going to do? That and we spent the last 45 minutes trying to figure out what the hell PCP is because nobody seems to know. Um, it's so, a big, long word. So let me ask you this. In your experience as a reporter, you ever cover a guy who you know for a fact was on PCP? Absolutely. All right. So what? we're trying to figure out two things. One, does PCP actually, not just in the, like after school specials, does PCP actually give you superhuman strength? I think it just makes you. Um, I think it makes you unaware that you can be hurt. Well, if it's so an animal just, tranquilizer, that might actually make sense. Yeah. So you just you just go nuts, and you know, I mean, and it probably increases your adrenaline to a degree. Right. So you are probably stronger than you normally would be, just because of number one, the adrenaline, and number two, the endorphins. And, and number three, you're just whacked out. Right, <laughs> so, right. I mean, yeah, it probably makes you seem that way, and it, that's why it takes 18 cops to tackle a guy on PCP. We had a guy here in Portland, took it, they hit him like four times with a taser, and he wouldn't go down. Uh, I, I think it's just your body's wiring gets all screwed up, and so it doesn't know that it's being tased. All right. No, I can see that. I mean, because somebody said, well, you know, it was developed as an elephant tranquilizer. And I don't know if that's true, but that would actually make a lot of sense because it's like, because uh, then I saw the most fascinating Geraldo one time. First of all, where's Geraldo right now? What is he doing? We tased him out back. In the no, the last <laughs> time I saw him, he was uh, in New Orleans with a wind meter. You know, I like Geraldo. <laughs> I really do. And I know all he's, you know, he's, his name is a dirty word to some people, but you know what? He, he really is entertaining. And you got to give it to Geraldo. Because he just, man, he he gets knocked down, he gets fired. You know, they whack him on a whole bunch of shows. He gets back up, gets another show, and there's something about him that is so, it is so like refreshingly shameless. You know, he just doesn't care. I mean, he, you know, I think Geraldo figures he's only on this planet for like 80 years, and he's just going to go out there and he's going to do whatever he can, just grab this place by the neck and make the most of it. You know. Well, he's doing that. Um, but uh, but I saw the most the most insane program one time back in the 80s. And it was about people who couldn't feel pain, where they had, like, some disconnect between, like, their spine and their brain or whatever. They could function probably nothing else wrong with them. But it's like they put their hand on a stove, wouldn't even know it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they were talking about how that, that people had to be real careful. They hurt themselves. But a lot of times, those guys get really drunk, and they get into a fight, or the cops get called or whatever. And the next thing you know, they got, like, 15 broken bones because they never know when to stop. So, anyway, it's all very interesting. Well, there you go. Maybe that's what PCP does. I suppose. Uh, all right, and uh, this is all true. So, all right, when are you heading back to Nevada? 
Uh, I have to I have to do the vice presidential debate in St. Louis on the second, and so that means I'll be back to L.A. on the third, which means I'll be back in Las Vegas on the sixth. And so the vice presidential debate is next Wednesday, is it, it not? It is the second of October, which is oh, wait, hold a week on, let me, from let me look a week from next Wednesday. Yeah, all right. Yeah, or, so or am I wrong? I'm no, like, no, no. The second is the second is is a Thursday. So yeah, I think it's on. I have to fly on Wednesday. I know that. So I think I fly a week from tomorrow. All right. So they, in fact, we talked this morning, and I'm not going to back to Vegas until after the All debate. Right. It, but, it doesn't make any sense to go there now. Just cover the trial from home. All right. Well, whenever it is, you're covering the vice presidential debate. So I'm gonna, man, we're gonna, we're gonna ring your bell several times about that because hey, I got all. It's gonna be a fun one. I'm happy I'm doing that. Oh, one. dude, I would give anything. I'd give really just, just to be there. And you know, and real quickly here, just. You know, there's the whole thing of the, the, the McCain-Palin people were screaming about how they wanted the format made a little more restrictive, and they didn't put it in these terms, but they were basically afraid that, McCain was, or that Biden was just going to wipe the floor with her, and so they wanted to make it less of a free-for-all because, I mean, to be fair, she doesn't have a lot of debate experience. Hey, man, she's in this ring. She's got to throw some punches or get hit. Oh, no, don't, don't get me wrong. I understand that. I mean, they're, from the real politic angle, Biden's a very experienced debater, and she's not. And so they were like, look, we want to go and get her, get her clock cleaned or whatever. But you know what? But I'm with you. It's not just that, like, she signed up for this, and so you got to take the lumps. It's also that you are auditioning to be the vice president, which means you are also, in a way, auditioning to be the president. And I would like somebody as president, whoever it might be, and from whatever party, who can get thrown in at the deep end across the table from some guy who is trying to take you apart, and you can just take it and you keep going. Yeah, you got to be rocky in there, man. Because at some point, it's not going to be Joe Biden uh, coming at you with a cleverly phrased sentence. At some point, it's going to be a guy with a bunch of nuclear weapons who hates you, uh, and it was saying, like, give me give me a reason not to launch, uh, you know, a war on you. And you got to figure out a way to defuse that. So absolutely. And I what can you? It is. Uh, and I, I and I can't believe the Republican Party doesn't realize that. And they better not try to ask for a kinder and gentler debate. Yeah. Or that's uh, or, or their own party's going to run. Yeah. I just uh, the the thing with him, and we'll talk a lot more about this in the future. But the thing about it is, he's got to look, you know, tough uh, without without looking like he's like he's hitting a girl, you know. So. Uh, I, I think he can do it. You know, I've always liked Joe Biden, not for not for his politics, but just because you know he's that kind of guy. You know, he can hit you in the face, make a joke, and for some reason you're going to smile about it. Uh, he, he's he's real good at that. I I've hope seen so. it in the other debates, and I thought, man, this is the guy I want for president because yeah. he's real good at calling you an idiot, making you feel good about you. You know, in those debates, I always think about this in terms of the presidential vice presidential debates. I always look for the guy, and I say, that's the guy I'd want to be my criminal lawyer. That's the that's it. That's my criteria. Like, would I want this guy to represent me if I was on trial? I would want you know? Joe Biden to to yeah. represent me. I honestly would. He he would he would completely win over a jury. I'm sorry. I'm reading Sarah's lips right now. She's mouthing somebody about needing more. You need more coffee? Yes, I, I desperately need more coffee. All right. James Roop, as always, a pleasure. Uh, I'll we be will be right uh... there with it. Oh, it's cream, sugar. Yeah, just, yeah we'll uh, we'll leave the back door open. Uh, thanks, man. All right, brother. Thank you. All right, buddy. All right, there you go. Uh, we got to do one thing here before we break. Uh, hello, Nick. Yes, sir. What brings you to the phone today, sir? Well, there's still time to change the road you're on. Why? Whatever are you referring to? I'm referring to a Led Zeppelin there. Why did I just use that in conversation? How yes, clever you of did. me. And All right. That was very clever. All right, my friend, you are going to see Robert Plant and Allison Krauss next you're Tuesday wrong. at the Rose Garden. Tickets on sale now at uh, ComcastTix.com. Robert Plant, Allison Krauss. Don't forget, every day this week, I work a Zeppelin phrase in the conversation. You spot it, you call it five. You go to see Robert Plant. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. We'll put you back on hold. Make sure we got your info. Thank you for listening. Hey, sir. one thing real quick. Yeah. 
Um, my friends Pete and Janelle just got married this weekend. They're big, big fans. Have been for a really long time. I just wanted to give a shout out to those guys. They're great together. Yada yada, all that good stuff. All right, Pete and Janelle. What? What? All right. Congratulations. All right, thank you. Thanks. All right, hold on. There you go. All right, you need some coffee? Yes, please. All right, let's play ourselves in the break here. There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley returns around the corner with uh, more news from the Ministry of Truth. Later on, Nita Parker from TMZ. Uh, let's see what else we got coming up later on. Chris Paddock's top five. Still got a jock watch to get to. Don't forget, one random on-air caller today wins a copy of Sports Night, the entire series. You stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. You know, what, what are my choices for bread? And she said, white wheat, sourdough, English muffin bagel. White wheat, sourdough, English muffin bagel. White wheat, sourdough, English muffin bagel. And clearly she had it hold down to like a whole David Mamet-esque like flow. White wheat, sourdough, English muffin bagel. What are my choices for bread? White wheat, sourdough, English muffin bagel. What are my choices for bread? White wheat, sourdough, English muffin bagel. What are my choices for bread? White wheat, sourdough, English muffin bagel. What are my choices for bread? White wheat, sourdough, English muffin bagel. 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 What are my choices for bread? White wheat, sourdough, English muffin bagel. What are my choices for bread? White wheat, sourdough, English muffin bagel. What are my choices for bread? White wheat, sourdough, English muffin bagel. What are my choices for bread? White wheat, sourdough, English muffin bagel. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hey, listen to you, Segway Master. I'm a pro. Email Dennis Constantine about that. Waiting for this to actually begin right now. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Single-handedly keeping the crystal method employed. 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, Nita Parker from TMZ, Chris Paddock from Rock 101 KUFO. Uh, he'll be here to count down his top five teenage angst songs. Did I tell you, I have written down just in the last hour so many topics and bits and stuff we got to get to. That Linda woman's not going to be happy, Tim. It's an even bigger patchwork of inanity. She'll hate us for another ten years. That's right. All right. Uh, let's take this call before we continue with the news. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hey, everybody. It's Man I'm Brian. Hello, sir. Long time to talk. What's up? I know. I've, well, I've been working for the man, you know, keeping the Aren't we all? keeping the, the, the wheels greased in like Oswego, so yeah. to speak. Uh, so I was listening earlier on there, probably 15, 20 minutes ago, and I heard you use the phrase... Uh, quoted, uh, distributed ACDC, you shook me all night long. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's a Led Zeppelin lyric, by golly. Yes. And I got on the phone, and uh, alas, I was apparently mistaken. Well, that's my own fault. I didn't really, so I was talking about the phrase, and we were bacon. And I do think I specifically said it was from the ACDC song, You Shook Me All Night Long. However, to be fair, uh, there is, in fact, on Led Zeppelin 1, there's a song called You Shook Me, uh, which does contain the phrase, you shook me all night long. So technically speaking, that is also a Zeppelin lyric, but let us, uh, you, you know, the, the, I suppose okay. for the letter of the law, but that is not actually the Zeppelin lyric uh, of the day. 
That that is true, and I was not caller five; I was caller one on that. Uh, so, but I just, I just, uh, right. I just caught it, and I wanted you to thank know you. Uh, we're listening out here. And thank you very much, uh, best show. Ever. You know what? That's the kind of active listening that the Rick Emerson Show audience is known for. Perspective well, we advertisers. All, we all do that, my friend. It's 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 if if you don't, you miss so much if you don't listen like constantly. So. If you don't listen for uh, five hours every day, five days a week. Exactly. So a word to the wise, all you listeners out there, don't miss a second of the Rick Emerson Show. Best show ever. Thanks, guys. Thank Bye. you, sir. There you go. Attention prospective advertisers and, you know, everybody. Okay. How's everybody feeling? Fine. I'm feeling better. You know why? I just finished uh, another visa. Just polished it off. I'm feeling a bit better. I'm on the comeback trail. I feel good, too. I almost made somebody throw up by saying milky carrots. Really? Oh. I was that's you, awful. That's what I was saying. The, the carrots are all milky. But you didn't use that actual phrase before. Yes, I did. No, no, no. You said the bag is full of something milky. You didn't say milky carrots. That's that's a horse Sorry, of a Dan. different color. <laughs> I think all he right. threw up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. And now, no. from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. So the nation's top financial officers warn of dire consequences. And Congress doesn't give them all this money. Very fragile, unpredictable, worrisome. That's how Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Beneke characterized the current state of the U.S. economy while testifying in front of Congress. The Fed supports the Treasury Initiative. We believe that strong and timely action is urgently needed to stabilize our markets and our economy. Uh, this will not settle taxpayers with the cost of the bailout. Under the Treasury authority being requested, a program can be undertaken that will help establish reasonable hold-to-maturity prices for these assets. Doing that will restore confidence and liquidity to financial markets and help the economy recover without an unreasonable fiscal burden on taxpayers. Now, how do we know these people are telling the truth? We have no idea. Well, they didn't tell the truth about anything in the past. Uh, can I ask you another question, Tim? Yes. I hate to be saddling you with all of these economic inquiries. But, uh, you know, But we only had Lisa for like 10 minutes, and really you're smarter than anybody else here. So, all right. So... Let's leave aside the demographics for a moment of the people that were getting these loans for houses. Yes. The bottom line is, as I understand it, as you explained it earlier with all of your vast real estate knowledge, the bottom line is that the banks, uh, let's say one, one part of this, is that banks were given houses and loans to people that really uh, we all knew couldn't afford them and pay them back, right? That's the thing. People were buying houses. No, no, it, it started out they could. Then when the interest rates rose on these loans, they could no longer afford to do so. So are these they, like is they, this like an adjustable an adjustable correct. rate? Correct. This is an ARM, a so-called adjustable rate mortgage. Yes. In, in other words, it, most of these were interest-only loans. They weren't paying back any principal. Okay. But there was nothing illegal about not paying back principal. Sure, sure. So let me ask you this though: in your estimation, based on your read of this situation, yes. did these lending institutions, in their heart of hearts, when they were, you know, kind of given these loans and mortgages and whatnot to people, did the banks, like, in deep in the still small space inside, did they know in their hearts, like, this guy is never going to be able to pay for this? Uh-huh. Okay, so... It, and, and the whole financial system was dug in so deep that nobody called them out on it. Right, and there so... There were too many people making big bucks. So then my final... Then my next question is, if, as I suspected was the case, these lending institutions... Let's say for a minute, let's say Sarah comes to me. And uh, Sarah, you know, I like Sarah. I'd give her a loan. Sarah's very ambitious, and Sarah uh, wants to keep up with the, as my wife would call it, she's keeping up with the Carlins. Yes. She wants to keep pace with the American dream she sees depicted on television. And by the way, let's have no illusions about this. I'm not trying to be mean or jerky to people who you know, have their noses pressed up against the candy glass window. 
you know, the candy store window, and they're looking inside, and they, they see everybody else kind of living this life, and they think like, hey, you know, as Jonas Nightingale would say, hey, I want me a car like that. Mm. You know, and they see the American... That's what keeps people going every day. They see the American dream depicted on television everywhere, and I know this is stuff you hear all the time, and not everybody has to pay attention to advertising, you know, telling them to buy things they can't afford, but but you but you grow up, you know, you grow up in America, and you have that stuff shoved on you all the time. Uh, you know, about buying this house and buying this car and having the so-called good life. And the good life, of course, is usually defined by having a lot of consumer goods you quite often can't afford. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you know th- that gets into your head early in this country and it Fs with you and it screws up your, your perception. And, and it's it, nothing new. No, and it gives you a false perspective. It really does. It, it is post-World War II America. It is. The, exactly, Tim. So don't get me wrong. I understand human psychology, and it's just that human nature is what it is, man. People people want to have a little bit of that, you know, that that dream that they see advertised on television. I understand that. But let's say Sarah is somebody who, you know, doesn't really have the money for that kind of a thing. But she comes to me, the predatory lender, and she says, "Well, hey, I'm looking to buy this house, or I'm looking to get this loan for whatever." And I'm in my, you know, I'm thinking, there is no way that this person can possibly afford this. What made them then do it anyway? It seems like bad business. Because all these countries with this excess capital to lend, uh, say, let's just pick the Chinese, for example. They had all this extra capital to lend out. And therefore, it's a global economy. Nobody actually knew where this amount of money was coming from at this moment. It was an excess amount of money to be spent on the worldwide economy. But didn't the lenders themselves, the bottom line, didn't the lenders in their hearts know that the people getting the loans couldn't pay them back? And if so, didn't the lenders realize, look, someday we're, we're going to get called on this when this guy defaults on his loan? But for now, I'm making 20000 bucks a week, right, and I'm well, having a very good life. Well, and now, and now the government is coming to their rescue anyway. So I guess maybe it was a shrewd decision because I guess the government's coming to bail them out with a trillion dollars, mm-hmm. uh, a large part of which is our money, I do believe. Yes. So, all right. Well, I guess well, people need big bucks. So I guess in a really perverse way, it was a good business decision for them to give loans that, that the people couldn't possibly pay because they knew that they weren't going to, you know, they were going to get their ass covered in the end anyway. There were no, there were no laws saying they could not do so. Uh, really, this is. I'm only going to make this observation because I think it's true. And I don't mean to be melodramatic when I say this. Really, this is why revolutions happen. It really is. They don't happen in this country. No, they don't happen here. We have too many channels on cable. We have cable and we have Cheetos, Tim. But the way cable, it would be a different story. But this is really how revolutions happen. When you, you know, you go to a smaller country where this sort of thing, you know, can take place, like Cuba or someplace like that. You know, finally people just wake up and they're like, you know, this whole thing is just irretrievably broken. I mean, that's obviously what that's obviously what happens in in small even now smaller countries where there's some sort of a coup. Uh, we finally, some guy just wakes up and he gets a bunch of his rabble-rousing friends and they get together in a room and they say, look, this country and this government is so irretrievably effed that we have to do a hard reboot. I mean, we have to do an unplug and we have to let the hard drive spin down to zero and then we have to plug it in and start from scratch because this thing is so completely broken, we can never fix it the way it is now. You know, you can't fix the car if the engine's still running. And yeah, I'm just saying that, you know, stuff like this contributes to that because people get, you know, this view of this systemic corruption and incompetence, which doesn't ever seem to get any better. And then the government just comes and papers over everything with like a trillion dollar, uh, you know, infusion of cash that we cannot afford. Correct. Ugh, man, I tell you. I tell you, Tim, if it's not one thing, it's to other. Here's There's Tim Riley. always something. That's right, Tim. Here's Tim Riley. So we have uh, Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson, who's going to benefit from this more than anyone because he's going to be in charge of a lot of this stuff. 
He said the cost of the bailout will be far less than the cost of the collapse of the financial sector for the average taxpayer. We cannot impose punitive measures on the institutions that choose to sell assets. That would eliminate or strongly reduce participation and cause the program to fail. Remember, the beneficiaries of this program are not just those who sell the asset, but all market participants and the economy as a whole. This email says, Rick, here's the deal. People that received, and this, is, by the way, is from somebody who is an escrow officer. Mm -hmm. Did you ever think, by the way, six months ago, we would be in a place in this country where we would be talking about economics on the show every day because it is what people are talking about? It's fun. I, I mean, it is sort of fun, but I mean, it's just, it's, and, and again, you know, as we always say, we'll talk about whatever people want to talk about. Yeah. We're not proud. I, you know, we, here at the Rick Emerson Show, we're big believers in giving the people what they want. So I will, uh, we will talk about whatever the American public is of a mind to discuss. If it's the nude bicycle girl, great. Uh, you know, if it's, uh, you know, if it's uh, Scarlett Johansson's bosoms, which it usually is, great. If it's, you know, the economy, great. But it's so weird to think, you know, just, just a month ago, if you told me that I was going to be spending every day talking about mortgages and the economy, I would have told you you were high. You've been uh, smoking too much nutmeg. But, I mean, you know, here we are because it's a top of mind. It's what people are talking about today. She says, I'm an escrow officer. Here's the deal. People that received these loans were always one paycheck away from disaster. They came into the deal with no money down, no money in the bank, and a half-assed loan approval. Sometimes they didn't even have to supply freaking income verification. That is true. Um, she says, it is the fault of the borrower, but it's definitely the fault of the lenders. Lenders knew exactly what they were doing. Uh, she says, I call you, but I don't want my name on the air. So there you go. Well, we won't say who she is. Just uh, an escrow officer. Uh, all right, let's see. Uh, well, I don't know what we're doing with these calls. Let's. Uh, here's Tim Riley. We got Nina Parker from TMZ, by the way, coming up. Sarah Palin says if elected President John McCain will put the federal government's bailout of Wall Street online. We believe that the American people have the right to know which firms the Treasury is helping and what that selection is based on and how much that help will cost you. It's your money, and you do have a right to know where it's going. So Sarah Palin's uh, meeting all these world leaders, including Henry Kissinger. Did you see that she didn't want the uh, she didn't want the press there though? No. Uh, she tried to keep the press out when she was meeting world leaders, and finally the press said, "You're running for vice president." And she went, "Oh, okay." And then she let him in. Let's quickly go around the room right now. If you had to call the election, Sarah, the election's tomorrow. Where do you where do you put it? Man, I don't know. I don't know. I thought Obama had it, and then they, I don't know, the McCain and Palin kind of thing. I'm waiting for the debates. I really don't know what direction. I'm hoping Obama, but Americans are stupid, so I'm thinking it's probably going to be McCain. Do you feel okay? So you feel like it might be too close to call, everything but if you had I've to come down, in, yeah, everything I've ever believed in, every person I've ever voted for has never won. I don't feel like it's going to change now. I you, feel like it's going to be McCain. You almost feel like you can make something uh, and somebody lose just by backing them. You know what I yeah. mean? John Kerry, lose. No, I remember being so excited for the uh, presidential debates last time around yeah. and seeing how Kerry just schooled Bush, yet he still lost. I remember where I was. I was in Los Angeles in that, the first Kerry-Bush debate. I was in a hotel room in Los Angeles. I was sitting at that Sabalas. And I remember you texted me, and you were like, this is so righteous, because Kerry just shredded W. Uh, and, I mean, you know, a fat lot of good it did him. You know, doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't you know, matter. Well, because, because the American public is typically, I mean, look, almost everything... There's that Sturgeon's Law, 90% of everything is crap. 
Uh, and then, you know, then most people are deeply stupid. Uh, and then, you know, you'll hear those, and we have those liners on the stage. The, the average person is just deeply dense, which is why we here, uh, the staff and listeners of AM 970, the audience and cast and crew of the Rick Emerson Show, children, we all have to band together. Uh, because by dint of the fact that you're out there listening to us, you, you are not just one cut above, you are several cuts above. You're not only the sharpest, you're really the only knife in the drawer at this point. Because we don't even really have sharp knives. We don't have knives left in this country. You're a sharp knife, and everybody else is a spoon. Um, you know, but the American people don't like smarts. They just don't. They're just suspicious of, you know, the, the book learning or whatever. Uh, Tim Riley, the election happens today. Where do you put it? I say Obama by a nose, but not that much more. Yeah, I, But, but I, I'm not buying Matt Dredge's America. You, you think you think that I, I think he, he is the supreme propagandist. Oh, no, absolutely. the Republican Party. And that's where most people in the media go to get their views. Seriously? Even myself, I the first place I stop is Matt Drudge, and he is the the main cog in that machine. Really? So even though I, I, I have a lot against the Democrats, we have to be careful whose viewpoints we take into this. You you must, you must, you must read this book by Mark Halperin, The The Way to Win. Because he talks about how politics have changed because of the Internet, because of the fall of the, you know, the, the Cold War being over. He has an entire chapter just called The Drudge Effect. Mm -hmm. And it is an entire chapter. And he's, understand, he's not using Matt Drudge as a microcosm. Right. He's not talking about, you know, what does Matt Drudge symbolize. He's talking specifically about Drudge. And he says that Dr there is no website like Drudge. Drudge stands alone. He is. And it determines the tempo of most AM talk show. Look, and I will tell you this, and he makes that point exactly, and he also notes that almost everybody in Washington has Drudge as their homepage, mm -hmm. and he says the four most feared words in D.C., words that will make hearts race and pulses pound, are, have you seen Drudge? Mm -hmm. Because if somebody calls you, if you, leave, if you look, if you're, if you were in the Beltway, you answer your phone at the office on the Capitol, you know, Capitol Hill, you answer the phone, somebody goes, have you seen Drudge? You're like, oh, God, what? Tell me! Uh, I mean, he, he is what the big three evening news used to be. Matt, mean, he, he is the evening news 24-7. Matt Drudge is the single most influential and important journalist in America today. Hands down. And people can say he's not a journalist, you know, but that's that's between you and that's your boggle. Because the big guns are coming out now and the big guns are coming out on that site. Yeah. Matt Drudge is the most important person in journalism in America, period. So does he back? Is he is he a Republican? Is he a Democrat? He what claims to be an independent, but he does lean conservative. Okay. Uh, he leans Kinda towards like the New York Post. Yeah, he leans towards scandal too. I mean, look, if any anything is sort of sexy or sleazy enough to publish it, and he also likes stories about you know like maimings and dogs born with three heads and a girl with eight legs, so he likes that. But I mean, it he, is the framing that he does better than anybody. Exactly. Please would describe what you mean by that, Tim. Framing. He'll get an idea and get the corresponding stories to make it look like there's a deluge of something going on. Exactly. So Matt Drudge will decide that a story is interesting or compelling. And as Tim just pointed out, he'll have four of those stories all in a row on his website. And at any point, his website only has like 25 stories. Mm -hmm. But he'll make sure the top three are all, all about one. And look, let's be, it's the Internet. You can find ten stories. It could be the same story written three different, different ways. Exactly. You could find 15 stories right now about shoelaces, you know? So finding four stories about a topic isn't, isn't difficult. But what Drudge will do is he'll get four stories, let's say, about shoelaces. He'll get four stories about shoelaces, and he'll put them all at the top of his page. In a blaring headline. And people will go there and they'll go, Look at that. Drudge has four big stories about, hey, I guess shoelaces. It's all about shoelaces now. Mm -hmm. Look, have you seen Drudge? 
Yeah, he's got these four stories about shoelaces, and that makes you think that everybody's talking about shoelaces. And then everybody, and then he, and then the illusion that everybody is talking about shoelaces becomes true because all the journalists go to Drudge, they see that he has posted four shoelace stories, and they go, "All right, we got to get people on shoelaces right now. That's the big deal." And so then it becomes an actual news story because he claimed it was. I mean, he is. It is impossible to overstate the importance of Matt Drudge. And I know we've just turned into all things considered here. But, I mean, it's just, it, it, it is staggering. And you know what? He's a guy, and they often use it. He's a guy. He does that job in his boxer shorts in a Miami apartment. I know. That's your dream. No, it's not even necessarily my dream. It's just, that is, I mean, we're talking about the American dream. Do you know what that guy was doing uh, 15 years ago? He was working at the gift shop at CBS. He sold T-shirts at the CBS gift shop. He's never gone to college. He has no journalism degrees. He has no formal training. He was working at the gift shop literally selling, like, coffee cups and T-shirts at the CBS uh, Network gift shop. His dad came out. It's a true story. His dad came out to Los Angeles, was concerned that, the, you know, Matt Drudge was in his late 20s at that point. Late 20s. Uh, probably older than you, you know. He hadn't wasn't doing anything. His dad was concerned, you know, that his son was furthering his life away. So came out to visit him, gave him a personal, gave him a, gave him a PC. Here you go, son, here's a computer. Maybe try to make something of yourself. And within three years, uh, he was, you know, bringing down a president, hmm. you know, with his Lewinsky stuff. I mean, it's he is both he is both the um, uh, in some ways he's the Walter Winchell, uh, and he's also the Gatsby sort of of our time. He just reinvented himself. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he, there's no one like Drudge. All right, let's see. We've got that. We'll get Nina Parker here in a few. Uh, later on, we got the. Uh, you know, I was asking your take on. You said Obama buying those. Oh. Oh, but you said you you don't believe Drudge is America, you oh. know that he's framing it as like you know advantage McCain. God, I don't know. I think maybe Obama, but again, by Obama by a head. I hope you guys are right. Not by much. No, no, I don't think it's by much though. I don't think it's going to be, and it's going to come down as it as it did last time to a couple key states. It's going to be a few battleground states. It's going to be like Ohio and Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. same states that always is. You know, because they're not even campaigning here. I mean, you know, it's not like McCain's going to win Oregon. That's never going to happen. Uh, so there's a lot of states where it's in the bag, a lot of states that are advantage Obama or advantage McCain, and then there's those battleground states, you know. I and just want to see a little more aggression on the Democrat side because all I see every day is Sarah Palin, Sarah Palin, Sarah Palin. Yep. You know, they're putting things out there every day, and Obama's kind of fading into the distance. Like, right. Do something. Well, my thing what about the vice presidential debate, and we'll talk to Nina Parker in a moment, and we'll have more headlines from Tim. Uh, my thing about the vice presidential debate is this, is that, you know, because we do live in a country of double standards and sexism on both sides and, you know, inequality in a lot of ways and all of that. Biden can't come out and just put a fist right in her face. I mean, he can't do that. He can't come out and just savage her. He can't pick on a girl. No, because that's the thing, right? Because if it was Hillary, would be different, though. She's not really a girl. No, because she's got a big... You know, Hillary's got sack, you know what I mean? So, you, you, you know, she's like Margaret Thatcher. You can come out and hit her with a baseball bat. Uh, but he can't be mean to Sarah Palin because she has that, because she's girly. You know, she kind of got that feminine, you know, she does look like a girly girl in some ways. And so, you, you know, you just can't come out and be mean to her. But he also can't let her bitch slap him. Well, that's the thing. So here's my deal. Uh, Richie, would you check the warm line, please? This is Nina Parker, I believe. I want to make sure that she's, thank you. Uh, we'll get her just one second. But that's the thing is he can't let her walk on him because then he'll look emasculated. Mm -hmm. And the public will never vote for a guy who's just had this pair cut off. And so what he has to do is this, because he's a lot older than she is. He has to do this. This is just, I'm speaking terms of, in the terms of political maneuvering. He must be the dad, and she has to be the daughter. That's how he has to position it. Because that's what Cheney did to Edwards. Cheney was like, well, son, you know, I admire your spunk, but you got a lot to learn about the way things work. That's what Cheney did. 
And, you know, Edwards, by all accounts, a very skilled trial lawyer. And Cheney made him look like a little kid. You know, I was like, sit on my lap. Let me tell you about how the government really works. Do you have faith in Biden? You think you can pull it off? Uh, from all, by all accounts, he's a great debater, you know, and, you know, very skilled. But they said the same thing about Edwards, and Cheney owned him. I mean, Cheney took him out to the woodshed and beat him like a mule. Uh, so, uh, but that's what Biden has to do. He has to talk to her like a daughter. He has to be like, you know, look, it's, I admire your spunk. You're very admirable, you know. I hope my own daughters grow up to be like you. But really, the world we are living in today, and then he ignores her and talks to the camera. We'll see if he does it, just bunch, a bunch of pithy one-liners from yeah. her. I know. Well, we have an old saying in Alaska. Oh, my God. All right, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from TMZ.com, Nina Parker. Hello, Nina. Hey, guys. How are you? I am, uh, I would say on a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of being adorable, I'm an 8.5. <laughs> right. Nice. How adorable would you say you are on the classic 1 to 10 scale? Uh, today, you know, I'm not feeling too adorable today, so I'm going to give myself uh, a 7.5. Well, all right, you know, 7.5, that's still, you know, look, if you were, uh, you know, you'd be an all-star if you were playing baseball with that. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> all right. Uh, a couple of things. First of all, I mean, we talked about this last week, and I mean, it, it's not even that I really care, but it is one of those things that got dragged out forever and ever and ever and ever end the day. Uh, but I guess Samantha Ronson called uh KROQ is a radio station in Los Angeles called Loveline and actually just said uh you know Lindsay Lohan got on the phone and said like hey we're a couple we are together so it's like an official thing now right well you know I mean it's like the worst kept secret in Hollywood really but right. when Samantha called in and we but the portion that we actually put on the website was the portion where Lindsay got on the phone and basically the DJ asked her you know how long have you and Sam been together has it been one year has it been two years and Lindsay you know instead of saying oh you know we're not together or you know kind of playing coy she just says we've been together a very long time right and he says you know you guys are great together and you know you know I hope you guys last forever and she's like thank you very much so uh, you know she at this point has no qualms about it and she's open about it and talking about it so um you know good for them I got to tell you uh you know Lindsay Lohan obviously has some uh, some challenges uh, and struggles in terms of her public image doesn't help that she's often seen in a car covered in what appears to be dried vomit so she's got a lot of you know rehabilitation on that public image but just speaking now putting on my publicist hat for a moment Lindsay Lohan has the biggest opportunity being handed to her right now, and what it is is she has the the most jewel-encrusted, top-tier, grade-A, high-class wedding that Hollywood has seen in 50 years to Samantha Ronson. And I don't mean, you know, and, and, and I mean actual class, not like weird, like, hick class. I mean, if she has an actual, classy, sophisticated uh, wedding to Samantha Ronson in Hollywood, that puts her, in my opinion really back in the game as as a player and puts a lot of this bad image behind her. Yeah, I mean if if she if there if it if it goes that far, you know, it it's just funny when people finally get together, everybody wants there to be a wedding. She's really they're you know, they're both pretty young, so I, I hope that they don't rush to do that, especially because Lindsay's still just coming out of rehab trying to get her life back together. Seems like Sam is actually a good influence on her. I hope that, you know, she just takes it easy, enjoys, you know, her youth and tries to kind of put it all together instead of trying to rush is, to something else. Is that the general consensus on Samantha Ronson that she's you know, that she's relatively stable, at least compared to Lindsay Lohan? is um, adamant about not drinking. She's not a drinker. Um, she's, you know, was actually stopped hanging out with Lindsay when she was going through all of the, tra the drama and, and the DUIs because, she, you know, she was saying Lindsay was into drugs and that wasn't something that she was into right. and she had separated herself. So in order kind of for Lindsay to get back into her good graces, she had to kind of get her life together, which she's done. So um, I think Sam's a great person and she's definitely been a good influence on Lindsay. So more power to them. Excellent. And then uh, there is... I'm 
You know, speaking of adorable, adorable really is the only word one can use about Tina Fey. Uh, I mean, she really is just, uh, as my uh, mother used to say, she's cute as a bug's ear. Yeah. Uh, now, is this, there's this video of her, is this her at, uh, is she at LAX? Where is she? She is, she is at LAX, and, you know, she, she picked up three Emmys. Right. But, uh, you know, security still uh, had to check all of her ID just like anyone else and, you know, put her through the motions. So it was it's just a funny video of just her, you know, security guard wondering if it's really Tina Fey or not and kind of taking a look at her, her ID and her passport right. ticket and kind of, you know, it's clearly her. Yeah. So I don't know if he was just trying to give her a hard time or if he really just had no idea who she is. Well, so. I like to, uh, you know, you like to see the, uh, you like to see celebrities acting like real people, Nina. <laughs> That's why we're at LAX. All right. Uh, Nina Parker, com. As always, a pleasure. We will talk to you next week. All right, guys. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Nina. There you go. And and Tim is gone. All right. If you're on hold, hang tight. we got uh, Chris, Zach, and some other folks. We'll talk to you in just a second. Around the corner also, Chris Paddock from KUFO. He's going to be counting down his top five teenage, uh, lovelorn, angst-ridden, you know, blah, 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 you know the rest. Back after this, your calls, Chris Paddock. Later on, more from Tim Riley. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Indeed. Why, hello. Thank you for coming by. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into comedy, assembled here in the United States by a collection of robots. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Two nine seventy. Uh, mere moments we'll do today's top five. Chris Paddock's. You know, I, every time I write this, it gets longer. Chris Paddock's top five songs of lovelorn teenage angst. Could I be more verbose for the love of sweet zombie Jesus? Uh, coming up uh, tomorrow, Tim Riley will do his list on that topic. Uh, I got a whole lot of nothing for Thursday, and then uh, Friday, Scott Daly uh, will do his. We, we we should come up with one more person to do this. And no offense. We should find somebody who's not from KUFO because, really, it's like there's just like a path being worn in the carpet out there from KUFO people coming to do this list. It well, okay. Here, I'm how about saying, this? How about Lisa Desjardins? Uh, maybe. But she's going to be all busy with that. She's going to be. Yeah, that's right. She's got the debate coming oh, the debate. up, and you know, I don't but know. The debate's on until Friday, right? Yeah, but it would be on Thursday, the day before. She might be traveling. Mm. It seems like is there somebody? I'm just she saying would be a, she would be a killer. You know, like I, maybe I other wells we haven't gone to here, um, like untapped resource. Yeah, who have we not? Uh, who have we not talked? To? All right, Sarah. Let me ask you this: You look around this building here at First Avenue. Uh, when you look around, you see the people in the hallway. Who do you look at and you go, "I wonder what they mope to as a teenager." Who you, who do you want to know about? That's really the. Ooh, I would think maybe. Um, Don't say lazy. I don't know. Maybe Sarah Wagner. Yeah, but it then, but that's well, all, all going to be Joe and, and 112. Totally, that's all going to be. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of damn. I wish I was your lover. What about Tony Howard? Hey, there you go. He a little something like, there. Yeah, he has a really. What good about general sales to. manager Michael Fashana? Uh, death of a sales or birth of a salesman. All right, no, no, no. Person. There's something there. You know, maybe I'll bring him in for something. But I like the idea of. Well, Tony Howard was in the Pinehurst Kids. That's right. That's true. Uh, yeah, but he, he knows the Rock. All right, I'm making a note to myself. I'll ask him about that. All right. There you I go. can't wait for Tim Ryan, uh, Riley's. Oh, tomorrow? I've seen it, I'm by the way. Excited. Oh, you have? I've seen the list. I know what's on it. Really? It's. i got to tell you this. I don't think you're going to be able to predict any of them. Wow. wow. It's uh, because it's exciting. I, it was because he... It's, okay, just a little one one little story here. So, um, uh, so last week, last Friday, we did Aaron Durant's Top 5 Teenage Moping Songs. Yes. By the way, we'll talk about this. We'll get these calls. We'll do the Top 5. Um... And then, the, you know, and, and then I said that I guess we'd overlook Tim because, you know, a lot of times I don't like to bother Tim with our juvenile insanity. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, 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 I'd be happy to put together such a list. And I said, uh, really? And he goes, I would be more than happy to do so. Would you like me to? And I said, yes. And he goes, all right, 
I will make it a point to get that list compiled. <laughs> and I got to tell you, that was Friday at like 2? That's so matter of fact. Friday at 7 p.m., I got an email from Tim, and it said, I couldn't begin the weekend properly until this was done. Boy, this was more difficult than I imagined. I had to really ransack my memory, but here's the top five. And then I looked at it. Wow. It is not a top five. I mean, I couldn't have predicted what on those songs. This is going to be amazing. I think this is an event. It's uh, it's going to be compelling. I'm, I cannot wait. And yeah. uh, I would tell you, doing this thing, I- I'm more depressed now than I ever was when I was, you know, 14 or 15. Glad we could help. Thank you. Did you find it more uh, to be more traumatic or more freeing to re-examine? Uh, this traumatic, song? actually. Yeah. yeah, I think I have a lot of unresolved issues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right then. Uh, Don't we all though? Get these calls, then we'll do the top five. I are on the Rick Emerson radio program, sir, madam, as the case may be. Hey, Rick, uh, I was going to say you're focusing entirely on the, on this bailout thing, on the, the very most smallest portion <laughs> of it. I mean, if you, you could probably take every single house that's under foreclosure and clean it up maybe with a couple billion dollars. The, you, if you take this, say, if you look at the population of America, we'll say $350 million for the sake of easy math, that would mean that with the $700 billion that every single American would have have to have accrued $2 billion in debt and then foreclosed on it. I mean, there's, there's so money going in places in deep, dark holes that we don't even know about. I was told, that's where the real issue are. I was told there'd be no math. <laughs> that's why we did simple math. I mean, I mean, there's no way that, I mean, every man, woman, child, and probably illegal immigrant, if they had $2 billion in debt and then didn't pay it. That's what Wait, but actually, if you have $2 billion times three, how many like, people are on the planet? So that's like $500 skillion. There, there are 350 billion people, give or a million people, sorry, million people in the U.S. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, seven, they're saying the, the number is going to be $700 billion. Do you re- the, each citizen had 200 Do you remember a movie lot. called America-thon? Do you remember that with John Ritter? No. Where is they this... held a telethon for America because no. so people were living in their cars? No. Really? Is that a real movie? It's a real movie. i got to see. Is it funny? No. Oh, well, okay. Is it <laughs> I mean, supposed to be funny? Great concept. Uh, bad movie. Bad movie. All right. Was it, yeah, was it supposed to be funny? Intended? I think they were attempting to, yes. Sir, it was a bad Beach Boys record. Don't take this the wrong way, but I, I feel like at some point in the story, I'm going to be in a train leaving St. Louis, and I'm going to discharge half my passengers, like, you know, in Michigan, and then when I get to Los Angeles, one-third of the passengers will be clowns. How many nuns were on the train when it left? It's just that you're focusing on the very smallest portion of where the money is. Well, that's what we yeah, do there's, here. There's, there, there are some, yeah, there are people that made bad loans and people that took yes. loans that they no way they should have. But All right. the, the vast majority of the money is in deep, dark holes that we've never even seen or heard of. I just like to hear you say deep, dark holes. Thank you. <laughs> Figured you would. By the way, uh, this show is all about taking the big and making it small and the small and making it big. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick, it's me, Zach. Hello, you, Zach. <laughs> Um, I got two things. First, uh, one of the biggest issues with the, the mortgage thing was that a lot of the banks were taking prepackages from brokers, and so you'd get crooked brokers who would line up maybe 50 house sales with you know people who couldn't afford it, and then they would dump it to the bank, and because the interest rates were you know so good and everything was going well, the banks were like, well, we can take it, and then so the broker takes their cut, and then they're they're completely disconnected from whatever happens to the house afterward. That's a lot of the problem is. Because, you know, why, why do they care? They made right. their percent. All right. Who cares? Fair enough. So what's your second thing? And the second thing is a callback to the recap. And I know you said people shouldn't call you about it, but it's really simple. When a high-pressure system, it means it's warm. If it's a low-pressure system, it means it's cold. Why can't they just say that? <laughs> well, you can tell by the air. Right up here. The hot air. The little, the little blue bumps and the hot air-pressure uh, systems have the little red uh, triangles. Is it so difficult to say hot and cold? Is this like in tennis where, like, they don't, like, the, the, the man doesn't want the commoners to understand how it works? 
I don't know about that, but the reason why they talk about pressure is because hot air moves to where a cold pressure system is, and so that's where you get the basis for like weather and wind and stuff. So a hot, you know, just like a hot air balloon will go up because cold air is going down, hot air is going to go out, and the cold air is going to kind of take it. You know. All right. Thank you, sir. No problem. All right. Fifteen love. It's one to nothing. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your top five. Five, four, three, two, one, fire. All right, I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry for Americathon. What year did that come out? Uh, 1979. I was going to say that. That, why does it say 1998? Because that's the Oh, is that uh, when setting. it takes place? Yes. Yes, and John Ritter plays the president. Of course he does. There's also special appearances by Elvis Costello, Jay Leno, and Meatloaf. You know... Oh, and, and Tommy Lasorda. Meatloaf, who's also in the movie Roadie, by the way, which I, I was watching the other day. Everything will work Roadie? out if you let yeah. it. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Wait, wait, you've seen the movie Roadie? Yeah. God bless you, Sarah Dillon. He's a completist. You are just a... You are a Pandora's box of surprises. I'm so happy that you've seen the movie Roadie with Alice Cooper. It made me very happy. All right. Excellent. Wonderful. And Meatloaf. Uh, well, Meatloaf is in everything. All right. Who's doing this intro? Uh, well, Tim is not here, so I'll do the intro. <clears throat> As we continue to plumb the depths of teenage despair and depression, we take a look at the alternative side of things with KUFO program director Chris Paddock. In what musical ocean did a young Christopher drown his adolescent sorrows? Let's find out as we count down these, Chris Paddock's top five songs of lovelorn teen angst. Do you want here to do we go. Get ready to be depressed. Uh, this, is, this is really depressing. All right. Uh, honorable mention, it's The rough. Violent Femmes, Good Feeling. Oof. This is a killer. By the way, am I to understand? You just know that anything called good feeling doesn't have any good feelings in it, right? Listen to this. Just a little long. From the self-titled Violent Femmes album. It's probably not about a real good feeling. It's probably about shooting heroin or something. I don't know the backstory necessarily with the Violent Femmes, but right. wasn't it a rite of passage for every high school freshman to have the Violent Femmes album? Well, I will say I this. I will say that you know a scene that will be a scene that is timeless, a scene that a scene that will echo and resonate with every teenager ever until the end of time, is that scene in my so-called life where Angela Chase is dancing around her bedroom to blister in the sun. Yep, yeah. mm-hmm. there you go. Because every teenager, I don't care for this. Finally, over Jordan Catalano. For the next hundred years, teenage girls will do that. And and Carice Allen was the person who owned this on LP at my high school and. I think of her when I hear this song. <laughs> did you think of her then when you heard this song? I, I, uh, yes, I did. Was she yeah. your lady love? No. Was she... Uh, did did you have a I didn't have the courage to talk to her. Oh, hello. I'm... Oh. Imagine a, 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 a five-foot uh, brace, bespectacled, bespectacled uh, braces, uh, curly-haired uh, nerd. Where right. eyes on. Hold on. You had curly hair? Yeah. I can't picture you as a teenager. We were talking about this earlier. It's like how I can't picture Tim as I'll a teenager. I'll burn in the yearbooks, dude. Tim was born an adult. Seems like you were probably, uh, you know, born this age. Uh, yeah, I was probably walking around with a coffee mug, you yeah. know? Yeah. This is depressing. Can we move on? <laughs> yes. Uh, number five. Yeah, the Smiths. Yeah. That joke isn't funny oh, anymore. I love this song. Yeah. I'm already depressed. Yep. I mean, you just hear this vocal. I know that line, um, I've seen this happen in other people's lives, and yep. now it's happening in mine. That is, oh, that's 
pretty brutal. Pretty uh, pretty brutal and pretty good to hear. You know, it's just kind of like blues music. Sometimes you have a low day, you put the Smiths on, and you feel a little better about your your perspective. It doesn't make Do you know this song, Rick? No. My Smiths knowledge, my Smiths knowledge could fit inside a thimble. I had to provide all the music to Rick because he had none of it. Yeah, usually when people go, hey, here's my top five, I go, yeah, I got about half of that in my collection. Yeah, this, I was like, dude, you got to bring it all in. I got nothing. Yeah, and then I found out this was about a, um, a journalist that Morrissey apparently had a crush on. And uh, I guess they had a fight and a falling out. So that's what this is uh, entailing. Falling out? Oh, yeah, shocker. Right? You guys had uh, Johnny Marr on the station ever? No, but listen to this guitar. It's amazing. You can't hear it here, but... Great guitar is, player. He is a great guitar player. Great guitar this player. is his music. He wrote the music, of course. Morrissey did the words for the Smiths. Meet is Murder. That's a classic album Meet from the uh, boy. Four. Oh it's, man! Except for the you know the cows mooing at yes, the yes at the end of Meet is Murder. All right, let me okay. Let me just say this. Okay, here's you what feel the feel depressed yet? Oh no, totally. Uh, here's what the Smiths remind me of. Uh, so when I was in um, when I was in journalism class in high school, which I think I took, so I was trying to get out of something else. I think I was able to get out of like a gym class or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, but they, they gave you the like, look, if you're going to skip gym, you got to take one of these classes. I'm like, ah, journalism. So I took some, it was like some crap thing where I wrote for the school paper or whatever. Um, anyway, so I was in journalism class in Kennewick. Uh, and I got, there was the hottest girl, this goth girl named Marcy, who sat behind me. And Marcy wore a meat is murder pin every single day. Oh. And at first I thought it was like a, you know, like a vegetarian statement yeah. or whatever, which, it, you know, might have been also. But, but it turns out it was also a Smiths thing. She's a huge Smiths fan. And Marcy, of course, you know, just like I told you, the, you know, she had that, that chin length that hair. bob. Yeah, the bob. Perfectly kind of the alternate chick. Straight and shiny. Yeah. Dark, dark brown, almost black. Mm-hmm. Lots of like uh, the... You know, like the, the what I don't know what it's called, like powder makeup, like, like cake, the uh, yeah, makeup, like the white, yeah. little, really white makeup, yeah. really prominent lipstick. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of tight black clothing, just a gorgeous goth girl. And of course, you know, she was a junior and I was a freshman. Oh, and yeah, so no, no, but uh, I, uh, you know, I think about stuff too. I have thoughts and feelings. And, uh, do you want to you want to get a milkshake at the cafeteria? And of course, and her whole thing. And she was, of course, not busy paying attention to me. She was busy paying attention to this dirtbag skateboarder named Seth, who just sat around and, like, I think just, like, sniffed glue all the time. Uh, Mimi Landerville was my, uh, my girl. I like you're not even, you're not even skipping the last name. You're going right to the full (laughs) name. Mimi Landerville, she drove a white cabriolet. Volkswagen cabriolet, and she had a bag of beach around her, uh, her, uh, a bag of beach around her, uh, rearview mirror. She hung that. Very cute. Very alternative. You know, just uh, I had a huge crush on her, and I'd show up like at her house and like bring her flowers and stuff. And she, she didn't did give you a crap. show up at her house to bring her crap. flowers? Yeah, yeah, she didn't give a crap. Dude, you can't do that. Yeah, that's kind of you can't show up and bring stalky. flowers. That never works. I didn't. No one told me. Yeah, no. Whenever I go to New York every year, I always go to the library. It's this bar. That's the end of the song. Oh, okay. I go to the library where um, where Morrissey and Johnny Marr had their last infam- like infamous fight, and I go and sit at the table with my sister because I'm a dork, and that's where they finally. That's the last time they spoke. There's like yeah. f you. You never were not again. A reunion, and then they both failed. So wow. every time I go there, I sit at that table. I'm like, this is where they were sitting when they decided to never love each other. These are uh, Chris Paddock's top five songs of Love, Lauren, Teenage, Angst, number four, REM, South Central Rain. It's a rough one. 
I know the song. You do. Thank yeah. God. Brick knows something. I have a little bit of taste. Nobody ever told you bring you flowers to her house. Yeah. Well, there's no 800 number no, you, you know, can no, call for no, that. No, no, no. And I'm saying that sucks because you're right. You wouldn't know when you're young and naive. You know, that's another high concept topic. It's the crap I wish I'd known as a teenage yeah, boy. Yeah, things that I should have never did. Uh, this one, this song reminds me of my parents fighting. Oh, that now I'm now I'm depressed. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, saw, I heard this song for the first time. I saw the video for it on IRS's The Cutting Edge on MTV. Um in 84 and uh, my parents were getting in a gnarly fight and uh, I just remember the song playing so always kind of held dear with me so this is a uh... see I'll tell you it's a heartbreaker am I just bringing the room all down totally okay but I will tell you this that this uh, this song one of the first songs I could actually understand what Michael Stipe was saying you know just so you know, when, you, when we're done, I'm going to have to play some, like, Ohio Express or something. <laughs> like, get the room back up. Yeah, we need some bubblegum music. play some banana splits. Okay. Can I just say this? This is not about this song as such, about R.E.M. Can I think one of the most beautiful things, visually, one of those beautiful things I have ever seen in my life, and I would give anything to have a poster or a print of this? You know the song, The One I Love? Yes. There is that shot in the video. Of the girl sitting in the chair with her feet in like a little, like a, it's in the south, obviously very hot. Yeah. She's sitting in this sort of bare wooden room. She's sitting in a chair with her feet in like a pan of water to cool off. And her boyfriend is, is like kneeling and he's laying his head on her yes. lap. That's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. Ever, you know, call me whatever you want. Call me a sissy. Call me whatever. It's beautiful. I would give anything to have a print of that. That's an amazing that video. That's an amazing yeah. song. Yeah, that scene to me just says, I mean, that's one of the most beautifully composed shots I've ever seen in a video. Yeah, and, and by the way, never meet your heroes because I got to meet Michael Stein. jerk. Yeah, it was kind of a bummer. I hate being famous. Play he rolled record. a cigarette, and then he was like, I guess Tom York called on the cell phone. And, really? Yeah, he's like, oh, Tom's calling. <laughs> did, he, did he say it just like that? Yes. You just said it like a South Park Michael Stipe right yeah, there. It was like an effeminate Jesus uh, that uh, David Cross used to do, the effeminate Southern Jesus. Fantastic. Credit where credit's due. I really don't enjoy being a rock star. Oh, Tom have... York is calling. Are we going to get the ad this week? Uh, uh, these are uh, Chris Paddock's top five songs of love, Lauren teenage angst. Number three, The Cure, A Night Like This. Quick side note, though. He did tell Ryan Seacrest that uh, he had amazing eyes. Really? Yeah. Make it that what you will. Oh, here's sure, it was just an aesthetic observation. I'm sure. The Cure. What list is not complete without The Cure? They would get upbeat about this. They were The Cure to nothing, by the way. Again, I tell you, it's like blues music. You put it on, you feel not so bad. I, I You know, it's like, oh, someone's more miserable than me. And Robert Smith was that person in high school. Uh, a night like this. I always I imagine this being used in a movie. Totally. Like somebody leaving an airport. Last time they'll see each other. That's that. I can see that. As the, right as the closing credits yes. are getting ready to uh, come up. Totally. And they, like the op- the closing narration will go over that too. Exactly. And what I learned from my you know, what I learned from my time with Juliet is that sometimes the people you love love something else. Blah 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 blah. And then it would be like John Cusack. Yeah. And then he'd say. But I guess that's life. And then the lyrics, yeah. and then the, like the vocal would Fade come up. Black. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a John Hughes production. And it, a lot of this feels like a John Hughes uh, soundtrack. And I'll tell you, the, uh, again, girl that goes along with this, uh, it is just very sad. Where too. did she live? She lived. Where she, was her bedroom window in which she looked like? I at never night? snuck up on anybody in the middle of the night. Uh-huh. Let's just be very clear about that. Okay. Um, 
No, this was another person who was very uh, dark. I was attracted to dark, angry young women that had problems. Maybe I had problems. Isn't it strange how you guys are both attracted to the exact same people and now yeah. you're in the exact same field of work and kind of looking the same? I don't know what to say to that. I always thought I was unique. My mommy told me there was only one of me. I feel uncomfortable. I will say this again. Never meet your heroes. Glad I can just live into a type. <laughs> mommy never loved me. Uh, I did meet Robert Smith. You know, this you is... You know, the yeah, darkness this is, in this has escalated very quickly. This is where it gets depressing. Is you meet Robert Smith. I meet him in Phoenix, Arizona. The big hockey team there uh-huh. is the Phoenix Coyotes. Sure. He's apparently a huge hockey he's fan. He's a big hockey fan. No, I didn't know that at the time. Every time he's, every time I've seen him, you know, do anything live, he's wearing a hockey jersey. It's because he's fat. <laughs> so is he just huge wearing a hockey jersey? Yeah, it was really... It's was like, here's nice? a goth guy. Yeah, it was nice. He posed for pictures and stuff, but it was like... This is the and guy that I totally. got depressed with, and he's all excited about hockey. My wife saw him in concert, and he was wearing a hockey jersey. Yeah. Then too, and she's like, I think it might be because he's huge. Yeah, he's rotund. Yeah. yeah. All right, Chris Paddock's top five songs of Love, Lauren, Teenage Angst. Number two, The Pixies, See, must be loved I by many people. Already. Wave yeah, of mutilation. It's, it's kind of a Clinton yeah. whistle This song. Now, I can kill to the regular version from Doolittle. This is the pump up rock the volume band. version. This is the pump up the volume version. The B-side, if you will. Amazing song. I have friends of mine who are just Pixies fanatics. Now, I, I lived in Arizona. I lived nowhere near the ocean, but somehow I felt that I could relate to this song. And yeah. I was not a cutter. Let me just let you know. No, I'm not no, into all the girls relation. that you were into. They were into cutting. That You got your cutting vicarious. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. In a bathtub, cutting themselves. Listen wow. to this. I like this version of this song. It reminds me a lot of something. This a lot of, a lot of, reminds me a lot of Concrete Blonde, really, frankly. Yeah. I mean, that's this sounds a lot like something uh, that Concrete Blonde would have done. Can I tell you, there's nothing more bizarre than being at your sister-in-law's house, singing this in front of your nephew, niece, another nephew, and his girlfriend, singing Wave of Mutilation, being a 39-year-old man. That's what I did over Labor Day. How were you ever in a situation where that event happened? Rock band. Oh, really? This isn't rock band? Yes. Oh, that's just weird. That messed up. That that seems, that's a little strange. did very well with it, though. 100%. I'm so down right now. Yeah, this is really, okay. Jesus. This this last song, though, is a killer. All right. These are Chris Paddock's top five songs of lovelorn teenage angst. Number one, Unsatisfied, The Replacements. Oh, Let It Be? Do you have this album? No, but see, here's the thing. Ah, never mind. No, just, I was, but, no, no, no. I was just going to say that, look, here's the thing. I always felt like The Replacements are one of those bands that I was supposed to love. Yeah. And I tried, and it just didn't click with me for some reason. But if you had come to me... Uh, look, look, if you'd come to me a, a week ago and he said, look, I want you to list all the bands that I, Chris Paddock, own in my collection, mm-hmm. this would have been the first one out of my mouth. I mean, just, I would have, I'll put it this way. If you had not been a Replacements fan, if you told me somehow that you didn't like the Replacements, I, I, it would have changed all I thought I knew about this world. So now, you you pegged me as a, a Matt's fan. No, absolutely, oh. absolutely. I mean, if, if you didn't like the replacements, it would challenge everything that I thought I understood about human wow. beings. Well, look, there's probably some band that I have never talked to you about, but that you know I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. You could probably right now pick a band out of the air that you know I love or own, even if I've never really gone out of my way to tell you, just because you know, because I am a type, well, everybody's I'm, a type. Yeah. 
I know that you probably are a huge Jackal fan. Yes, I am. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. I know that about you. <laughs> this song, uh, again, just like, you, you know, you're growing up in a town where you feel like it's a dead end. Totally. And you don't feel like anything's happening. Yep. And you want to have more out of your life. This is the kind of song you want to put on. I have a... Uh, and make you feel better. I have a friend of mine who... Uh, you know, he's kind of a rock snob, and I mean that in the best way. Yeah. We all are. You know, he has actually very similar taste to you in terms of music. He uh, he also has a real he has a real streak of of in a kind of blue collar singer songwriter love too. In other words, he's a huge fan of you know the Laws and you know uh, you know and Neil Finn okay. and all those. Yeah. He, he loves all that stuff. You know, um, uh, you know Prefab Sprout, all yep. those bands. Yet at the same time, he has a real love for Tom Petty, Mellencamp. Right. You know, he has that kind of blue collar thing. And he told me one time the phrase that he will, my friend Todd, he said the phrase he would never get tired of in music. He said there's one thing a singer could, could sing in a song that he'd never get tired of. And it was a singer talking about this old town. And yeah. he's like, you know what? He's like, because I grew up in that old freaking right. town and it sucked. Yeah, he's it's like, relatable. I'll, I'll never get tired of that. That's a great way of putting yeah, it. Totally. And uh, they, by the way, this has a Kiss cover on the album. Black Diamond. Yeah. Just shocked that yeah. it's not in your selection. Yeah. Okay, you know, though. But Paul Westerberg, another uh, huge influence. Hero. Mm. All right. well, never done, met him. Pat. Never met him. But did hear you probably that, don't want to do that. You want to hear what, what I heard about him, though? Well, I know that they did that Portland, Oregon show that's so bad. It's so notorious that they apologize for it on the next record. Yeah, he apparently... Um, I guess recently, a few years back, I guess he was drinking a lot of cough syrup. Really? Yeah. That's kind of hot when it's a girl. Right. <laughs> when it's a girl. No, no, no. I had this crush on this goth girl who used to go out and tip Robo in the uh, in the parking lot. Really? Totally hot. For reasons I now understand had less to do with the Robitussin and more with the fact that she was inserting something cylindrical into her mouth. Ooh. You know what I'm wow. talking about. That's dirty. Uh, I feel uncomfortable now. Yeah. Oh, now you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, well, I feel uncomfortable because Sarah hard. Dillon feels uncomfortable. This song's about Cindy McCluskey, and I used to stand next to her in the hallway and Look, snip her hair. These pe- I never did that. <laughs> oh, Now I'm going to be pegged as the stalker dude. I love you, Chris Paddock. Uh, right. Sarah, are you going to play with some little cherry here? Sure, I was just going to try and find some Paul Westerberg, but I have something else to do. All right, ladies and gentlemen, back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Tim Riley around the corner. Don't go anywhere. Sorry, folks. We return next. You stay right there. He's well-dressed, not funny, and not much to say in most conversations, but he'll put the feeling of situations Boy. Hey, girl, nice tie. What do you guys want to do today? Dude, you want to crash the mall? Vacations and shopping trees. These are a few of her favorite things. So get what she wants if she's willing to please. Hit type of girl that comes with the beans. Head out of nothing for free.
That's what I'm talking about. I watched this movie again the other day. You think everybody goes through this stuff? No, I think it's just us. God, what a great song. See, I'm, and here's the thing. I know that this makes purists very angry, but I'm not a really a replacements fan, but I love Paul Westerberg's solo stuff. I feel the same way. This is such a great song. This is one of the happiest songs ever written. We should do the top five, the happiest five songs ever written. I don't even know what they'd be. God, what a great song. You know, and he has two great songs on this. This and that Waiting for Somebody song. God, singles, what a great soundtrack singles. That's is. the closing credit song, isn't it? I think this is the closing credit song. Wait I think Waiting for Somebody's the opening one. Ah. All right. Hello, Tim Riley. Well, hello. All right. Do you have more news for us? I do. All right. Let's get to that in just one second. Let me do this. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello there. Oh, Rick Emerson? I, I, I kind of thought I'd be talking to Richie Bristol first. I didn't know if I should. Um, my name is Joni. I called um, last Friday. I called to a, a, apologize. Um, I, I didn't mean to upset you about what I said about your wife. I really didn't. I, oh, I'm oh. Very sorry. Yes, no, no, no. You made the observation that I seem that. Uh, what I'm is it? Sorry. You can t- you can tell when Lara's going to be gone because I sound uh, cheery or something. And I think I was. I think I said, "What the hell kind of thing is to say is that?" No, 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 it's fine. I just wanted to apologize. Well, well, thank you very much. So don't don't you worry your pretty little head about it. Um, okay, bye. All right, thank you. It's just one sentence among thousands of sentences. I was going to say, if it makes you feel better, I don't remember anything that happens on the show five minutes well, she after it's done. so sad. Well, I apologized. Or, uh, she, you know, she apologized. I accepted. What more do you want? Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, it's Logan. Hello, Logan. How are you? Oh, Logan's hit Good. Well, um, well, my mom just got your message, Sarah, um, about my broken spine. Yeah, are you all right? Yeah, I'm good. It's Wait, what? The mom's Wendy. Yeah. Yes. You've met Wendy before. Okay. I saw her, um, my, my space status said that she was worried about her son's broken back. I'm like, are you, is Logan okay? Yeah, I have a broken spine. So you're not okay. That's pretty much not, oh. as, as I think, uh, as I think, uh, Ving Rames would say in Pulp Fiction, I'm pretty effing far from okay. <laughs> Well, okay, I don't know exactly what happened, but I went to the doctors today because after my football game on Saturday, my back was, like, killing me. And I woke up this morning and it hurt, like, even more. So I went to the doctor and got an x-ray, and apparently I had a healing vertebrae fracture. And he said, well, here's your problem right here, pointing to, like, a big, like, your spine all separated. <laughs> exactly. It was... That would contribute to back pain, I would think. Yeah, it was pretty scary, and... Yeah, apparently I have a, my fourth lumbar um, vertebrae is fractured. So is that the, now is that, I mean, you're going to be okay? Is that like the thing kind of heals up or? Yeah, it's going to heal up, but I don't know. I'm out for the rest of the football season, which sucks because I'm like important. You should, uh, you should demand to have some sort of like a, like a steel, like torso protector you can wear, like a steel corset. <laughs> exactly. That'd be cool. All right. Well, uh, well, I, people. well, I hope you recover soon. Uh, let me know if there's anything we can do. What with all my expertise in spines and so forth. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank you, my Feel friend. Feel better, Logan. All right. I will. You Thank you. Bye. All right. All right, then. Well, there you go. Did you know he hit puberty? Remember last Saturday? He's like, hi. Hi. Hello, Logan. Uh, <laughs> he's like, hello. All right. Jesus. Well, that's, uh. What are you going to do? All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, here's Tim Riley. From and now, oh. no, from wow. the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. I do not wish to have a broken spine. 
George Michael has hurriedly left the UK in disgrace following his most recent drag arrest. How could he really be disgraced? He that's got a, I know, that's what it was written at. Waggling his member in a men's room. Mm -hmm. How can he be disgraced at this point now? I know. That's the way it's written for some ridiculous reason. The singer Whatever. and his boyfriend were seen leaving their London home with six large suitcases. A CEO is bludgeoned to death in India by his fired employees. Corporate India is in shock after a mob of recently fired workers bludgeoned to death the chief executive who fired them all. Uh, late Kishore Kodurai, the head of the Indian operations of a transmission factory and manufacturer of car parts, died of severe head injuries after being attacked by scores of laid-off employees. From Florida comes word, a group of Florida children... From where, Tim? Florida. I think that was, like, weird. That was completely was at the same together? time just now. Oh, I didn't think you played it. I did. Oh, I freaky. Know. That's spooky. I'm sorry, Tim. Go ahead. So these kids have barricaded themselves in a house to escape a convicted child molester chasing them from a school bus. We saw the man peeking in the window at my friend's house, and he started chasing us. We're afraid to go outside. The four children say they were chased from the school bus by the same man. The uh, children used bird cages to barricade the door after they spotted the man looking in the home's windows. The police found the children crying and shaking, but the man was apprehended. Uh, Time for Jock Watch. Here's your Jock Watch uh, for Tuesday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Washington Redskins tight end Chris Cooley apologized for posting an explicit picture of himself on his website. Tight end. Cooley accidentally revealed more of himself than he wanted to when he took a picture Sunday morning while preparing for a game against the New Orleans Saint. Well, he was no saint this time. Cooley wanted to show the readers of his popular blog some of the study materials the players were given by their coach, Jim Zorn. Cooley, however, said he was studying in the nude and he didn't examine his photo closely before posting it. After the photo was removed, Cooley posted a message apologizing, uh, saying that the picture of his genitals was by no means our intention, and we do not want to offend anyone. The picture wouldn't have been up so long, but we're in the middle of winning a big game. Once again, this is a complete accident, and we regret not reviewing the post more closely. I have actually, by the way, I have the actual, this is not, uh, I'm not making this up, this is the actual apology that he wrote after putting a picture of his penis... On the website. Do you have a picture of a said penis? No, I don't. Uh, but uh, I, I have the apology here. It says, all apologies from the website. I'm reading now, by the way, directly his word-for-word -word apology. I bet that you've never, whoever, you know, listening to me right now, I bet you've never had to write something like this at your place of business. All apologies from the website. We are very sorry that we showed a penis on our website all day yesterday. <laughs> The picture wouldn't have been up for so long, but yes, we were in the middle of winning a big game. Thanks. There you go. So once again, we are very sorry that we showed a penis on our website all day yesterday. Jesus. All right, there's your jock watch. Nipwits.
ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the history of the world, back at 4, 5, 6, and 7, top of the hour all the way through life. How do you accidentally take a picture of your penis? I don't know the answer. Are you asking for instruction, like tips? <laughs> no, but I mean... What was he doing? Like, what kind of picture was he taking to where he's taking a picture of his penis? I'm unclear Like, on was that. he trying to take, like, a what an upper body shot to put on the website? It doesn't the make sense. The story didn't really specify exactly how said penis picture came to be posted. So who was, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. He was the tight end from uh, where? Was, uh, uh, showed a penis on our website all day yesterday. Uh, he was the tight end from the Washington Redskins. I forget his name. All right. Let's uh, get a couple calls here, then we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up? I got a couple things for you. Yes, sir. Uh, that South Central rain. Yeah. Was playing in the elevator of the Red Lion when I uh, the night my wife asked me for demanded divorce. Uh, divorce. Oh. Yeah. That's no and good. I got a high concept for you for the future. Is the uh, high concept top five things we can do to uh, to cheer ourselves up after another one of these lists? What is the high concept? Uh, the high concept is things that don't really go together when you're standing in the grocery line. And, you know, kind of odd things. Oh, like, like when you see somebody buying uh stool softener, cat food, you know, stuff like that. All right, then. Or when you see some, somebody buying, like, uh, oh, never mind. All yeah, the no, things... I was going to use an, an example, but it just yeah, sounds Yeah, mine are mine are just all too perverse. Yeah, and I want to give a shout-out to my 15 employees that I had to lay off today because uh, our main freight provider uh, is on strike for an indefinite period of time. They know who they are, and they're all listeners to your show because it's a requirement of employment. The, the, or, or was the 15 people? All right, so you're giving them a shout out, and uh, you regrettably were uh, you had no choice but to but to lay, but to lay them off. Yeah, uh, all of them off with pay, right. and um, for the first week, and then that gives them time to get on unemployment. All right, well, I hope things uh, come together for you, sir. Well, I've got a bottle of scotch and a loaded handgun. I'm good to go. All right then. Well, Just kidding, Rick. I'm going to let you go work that out then. <laughs> all right, thank you. Bye. All right. There is something in the air. There is totally something in the air, and it's not just me and my inability to speak uh, correctly earlier on in the day. All right, let's do one more, and then we'll take a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Rick, you still have the bearded lady sightings. Uh, the bearded lady sightings. Uh, well, there more, there's more than one bearded lady. Uh, we've noted there's several bearded ladies uh, working Portland as we speak. Uh, so let's not give the name of any particular business, obviously, I... but uh, where did you see the bearded lady? At a coffee shop on Burnside, East Burnside. All right, there was a bearded lady there. Was she? Uh, I was going to say she's attractive. That's stupid. Um, was she? Was she the one wearing like a muumuu? These are like purple baggy pants. All right. Yeah, it's glasses. Clearly, I think she's the one who stood next to me at the supermarket at that time. Could be. Yeah. All right. Thank you, sir. You bet. All right. Bye. Bye. And take a break. Yeah. Should we play something else? Are happy? you trying to find something else that's happy? Yes. Uh, let me see here. Well, we can do that. All right. All singles all the time. Wow. Back after this, kids. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program wrapping up around the corner. Don't go anywhere. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along. All right. I'm still trying to find something that's... Ha- you know, here's the thing. I'm looking for something really, really happy to play. I don't feel like we quite washed away the sadness. But everything I have over here is just uh, is either depressing or weird. You know, like, like uh, the, f- the first thing I brought up was that A is for Alice who fell down the stairs song. Yeah, that's probably not... That's not a real pick-me-up. No. Uh, let's see. I've got uh, Alice Cooper as King Herod singing to Jesus. Let's see. Wait, hold on. How about this? Wait, no, no, no. This is maybe this will be maybe this will this will bring the whole room up here. 
this summer on the WB. The Kleenex that sneezes, potatoes that chucky cheeses, red carpet, you know this. Limo, my dog just ate my demo. Oh, God. That's what I'm talking about right there. Don't you feel better? I feel better that's not me. Yeah. How about this? Parents need to be aware that kids are calling it by the more popular slang term, butt hash. Something else. Keep going. Uh, Let's see. Jesus, I don't don't even know what else I have. Uh, Let's see. How about... um... Oh, we haven't played this forever. And Timmy Ryan and I worked so hard on it. I was tired of my party. We were down on our luck. With lifetime politicians. Only out for a buck. I'm, I'm under no illusion that I can actually start anything else and get it done in this time period here, so... Reading Craigslist online. And in the personal section. It's a catchy little number. If you like Barack Obama, Alright, we went to the next scene of radio correspondents Lisa Desjardins, Steve Cash, and I'm James Roop, Nita Parker from TMZ.com. Join us tomorrow when our guests will include uh, Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com and of course Tim Riley doing his top five teenage angst songs. That is tomorrow. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for AM970, The Talker. You know the rest. Do it here. I see the woman and I'm a woman and um, I had five children. She has five.